Hello and welcome to the Movie Change Up Podcast. This is our championship match. We are covering the 1980s blockbusters. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Fricky, joined by my usual Disney Plus weekly review co-host, Tristan Mayer. Uh, we got a fun matchup today. We have two brothers going at it. We have the champion, Johnny, Johnny Dupe, and his brother, Bobby Mitchell, who is challenging for Johnny's title. Uh, should be a really fun match. Uh, it's kind of a long time coming. I think this kind of started being in the works about a month and a half ago. So, Tristan, what are your thoughts on this match? We're not there yet. I'm not judging yet, Joe. So I'm going to remind you guys, Johnny, you suck. He's not in here yet. But, Johnny, you suck. I hope you lose. I'm rooting for you, Bobby. Uh, Here on out. Go, Bobby. Johnny, you suck. I can't wait to watch you lose. But sure. Until then, let's keep it cool. Keep it calm. All right. And I will will say I forgot to unmute your mic for, like, the first half of what you said. So, But the audience got the important part, which is Johnny sucks, which we all know. Uh, And if you haven't watched our show before, basically how this show works is uh, two people go head-to-head pitching movie reboots. Uh, We came up with a list of seven movies, and like I said earlier, the kind of category for this movie is 1980s uh, blockbusters, and then they have seven rules, and they kind of have to pair which rule should go with which movie for their pitch. Uh, They have to use all the seven rules, and they can't use a rule more than once, but uh, before we bring in today's competitors... Let's see how we got here. You don't really blame Chris Hemsworth for the movies he's been in being bad because he's never been the bad in them. And so that's going to be where I go, unfortunately, for Bobby as I'm going to go with Tristan's stop. Fuck you, Bobby. (laughs) There it is. There's the deal. I'm going to be honest, though. I I think I was leaning more towards Bobby. Weird casting choice that we so into it. I would definitely see that level of ridiculous in a movie. You can yeah. never make a movie too ridiculous yeah. for me. Well, I'm glad I won two out of the three people on the podcast <laughs> over, but not the one that made the decision. Tristan did not deserve to be here. Bobby deserved to be here. Tristan is the worst of the four of all of us. Ooh. And wow. I think Bobby um, <laughs> was the rightful um, disciple to face me for the championship. Tristan started this rivalry, and I will crush it. Oh, did I lose? Because I think I won. I said, um, Bobby here's lost. My you thing. were talking shit like Bobby's oh. rightful winner, and Bobby lost. You know, and I took Bobby the only around the lost. End. Like, you lost. Bobby won by one point. Oh, that's so weird because I think I remember Bobby only losing because every single other person on the show, except for Joe, chose his pitch over yours. So honestly, if I am going. Full on champion mode. Bobby deserves a fucking title shot. And I don't care if it's the next match we face. Bobby doesn't need a second win. Bobby deserves a title shot. Tristan is unworthy. Joe is unworthy. I want to face Bobby. Bobby is the rightful fucking heir to the championship that I want to beat him. He is the only person that has beat me since the original episode of this show. Tristan is not worthy. Take that Drew Barrymore shirt and scream for the heavens. 
because you are useless and Joe, you suck. Bobby, I want you. I want to face you. You are worthy of a championship match and I challenge you. I don't care if you win your next match. I challenge Bobby to a championship fight. I don't know if belt will be here and I will face Bobby next time we fight. I want it to be a championship match. This is impossible. The two men fighting for the championship tonight are brothers. The All right, as you can see, we had a drunken Johnny Dupe challenge his brother to a championship match, who based on our normal rules, uh, which you have to win two matches in a row before you can face the championship for the champion or for face the champion for the championship. Uh, kind of was like, I don't care about that. I want to face Bobby. So it's kind of a fun, fun promo that we got. Tristan, what are your thoughts? Are you okay with this whole rule breaking that we have going on here to get this brotherly championship match? Look, I'm okay with rule breaking if it is any chance of Johnny losing. So I'm, I'm good for that. And, uh, look, Johnny might've buried his own grave here. He came all confident in that drunken rant, but you know, your consequences of your actions are going to come right now and we'll see how that goes. I, I talked a lot of crap on Johnny, but like I said, I'm professional now, and Johnny's a great competitor, so it's going to be a really good fight here, and I hope he's been drinking, because that's how you get the great out of Johnny, so I'm excited to see Johnny come in, but I'm also excited for Bobby, too. I think, like, when you're the underdog coming into the fight like this, you have that fight, you know, when I come in, when I came in and fought Johnny for the championship match, I had that fight, like, I wanted to win, and I didn't win, but I know John, I know Bobby has that edge and has that hunger, so I'm really thinking it's going to be a great match today especially we've had a bit of a break so uh, now they've had some time to work on their pitches too yeah it's definitely been a little bit since uh this match was declared so they had quite a while to work on these pitches and let's bring in bobby to kind of hear his thought process on coming up with these pitches hey i'm here uh and like tristan said i do have a little bit of a fire being the underdog um i always like facing johnny and last time we fought I won. So, you know what? I am bringing a little bit more confidence than I usually have going into this match against, you know, probably uh, the best pitcher we have on the show as of now, but I would like to take that title from him and uh, at least hold the belt for a little bit, get it away from Johnny. I can go pick it up from his house or have him uh, deliver it because we're pretty close by and hold it in his face. All right. And uh, is that all you want to say in this heated brotherly battle honestly look it johnny you know what drunkenly challenged me but i think i do deserve a shot i think i've been pitching pretty well and you know it was a very close match between me and tristan that came down to one ruling three judges you know three people on the show would have picked one one person picked the other happened to go that way but you know what i'll take it johnny got drunk and challenged me and i'll take the challenge and uh i hope that he regrets it all right uh I, i like to hear it you know and let's hear from the champion and hear what he has to say about, does he have any regrets in dropping this challenge? You know, they say live life with no regrets and, you know, not even one letter. And I don't, I don't regret my rant. I think Bobby does deserve a shot. I still think um, I'm the only one worthy of the belt, but I think Bobby earned his shot. And I said it in my, in my promo. I think I was maybe too nice to Bobby and too harsh to Tristan in my, in my promo there looking back on it, you know, but um, I'm excited. We have been trying to do this work schedules have been tough. So this has been a 
you know, a match we've been trying to do for what feels like uh, months now. And uh, I'm finally, it's finally here and I'm excited. I uh, have an, I have kind of a new strategy coming in and we'll see if it uh, works out for me or completely burns me, but I'm excited for it. Yeah. All right. And uh, uh, Tristan, you want to swap people? Yep. Perfect. All right. And uh, one thing I want to add is this will probably be our last seven movie match for a while because we all agreed because of the length of everything that we're going to go back to uh, five uh, movies per episode and it'll be a best of five instead of a best of seven and we're just going to keep championship matches at seven movies so without further ado I'll read the seven movies if Tristan wants to read the seven rules in today's seven movies in the realm of 1980s blockbusters are Can't Stop the Music from 1980 Dirty Dancing from 1987, E.T. the Extra Sexual from 1982, Gremlins from 1984, Octopussy from 1983, Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981, and Young Guns from 1988. All right, yeah, like Joe said, we had seven movies, so now there's seven rules, and they had to match one rule uh, with their movie pitches, and here's the seven rules. The first one is one that I'm a, I'm a big fan of this one. It's Make a movie perfect for Tristan. <laughs> so it's one that they know my taste pretty well by now. So they're trying to essentially pander to me. So I'm curious what direction I'll go. Because there's a fee you can go for a perfect Tristan movie. Parallel to that, you got a movie perfect for Joe. So we know Joe's taste pretty well. So whatever the worst movie you can pitch is the one you're going to go for that one. The third is that one must be a crossover with the Fast and Furious franchise, which is going to be a perfect movie no matter which one you pick. So easy win there. The fourth is one must be directed by John Carpenter. The fifth is one must be cast and released as a 1960s movie. Like you said, these are all 1980s blockbusters, so they got to go back a couple decades to the 1960s. One must include Mr. T, who is not me, the actual Mr. T. And one must be cast with a pair of acting siblings. So any duos who are siblings that are acting, I can't wait to see who you pick for that one because I couldn't think of a ton. Can't wait to see y'all put Cole and Dylan Sprouse as the leads of yeah. your films. No, the sister sister girls. Doing oh yeah, that. Tia and Tamara. Yeah, Tia and Tamara. Yeah. All right, and uh, I, we had a little competition before we uh, started streaming here, and Bobby won that competition. So, Bobby, what movie are we going with, and who's going first? We're gonna go with one of my favorites, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, and I'll go first. All right, and I believe that was Bobby's pick, so that would mean that Tristan and I are co-judging this together. And I will read the uh, description of this movie. So Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981. Uh, it was directed by Steven Spielberg. as a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, to you know, at a budget of $20 million and a box office of $390 million, so definitely qualifies as a blockbuster. In this film, Harrison Ford portrays Indiana Jones, a globe-trotting archaeologist racing against Nazis to recover the long-lost Ark of the Covenant, a relic said to make an army invincible. Though audience polls showed little interest in the film opening against Superman 2, Raiders of the Lost Ark became the highest-grossing film of 1981, playing in some theaters for over a year and launching a decades-long franchise. Alright, so uh, let's hear your pitch. Alright, so... This is the only Indiana Jones movie without Indiana Jones in the title. And I think if you're going to remake a classic, such as Raiders of the Lost Ark, with a title like that, you don't make it an Indiana Jones movie. So this is not going to include the iconic character and more based on the title Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Um, and my director for this to get the kind of the tone is going to be John Carpenter. So that's my rule. This is going to be more of a horror twinged adventure story based on the curse of the Ark, pretty much. Um, for my cast, uh, my male lead, um, I, I didn't, I, I could have given them random names, but I'll just call them by their actor's name in my pitch. Uh, Evan Peters, uh, known from the X-Men movies from American Horror Story and that he's a very good actor. Um, Haley Steinfeld is my female lead and they're kind of a, a um, treasure hunting duo in this movie. The main kind of good guy group that is looking that, you know, for kind of to find the arc to, to stop it from being found by the wrong, in the wrong hands. He's going to be led by Kurt Russell. Um, in that group is also going to be Steven Root uh, for kind of the comedic relief of the group. Uh, Judy Greer as a scientist. Uh, William Jackson from The Good Place. Uh, and then there's also going to be a group of Nazis that are going to be speaking German with subtitles. So you can kind of put whoever you kind of want in that role. And they're just kind of the group that they're trying to stop. And you kind of cut to them every once in a while to see what they're doing. So, like I said, it's an adventure horror movie. This is one of my longer pitches. That's why I wanted to start with it before things got too crazy. In the opening scene, we're introduced to a group of treasure hunters waking, making their way to the Ark of the Covenant. It's guarded by, by ancient booby traps, killing some of, the, some of them on the way. Um, and they vaguely talk about what they could do with the powers if it was real. The surviving uh, group makes it to the Ark and open it. We see a flash of light, and suddenly they start to combust and melt, limbs exploding and skin melting from their bodies. Um, and then now we get the title screen. So we just killed off kind of this group that we saw adventure in, and now it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, similar to the original, the Nazis are looking for the Ark because Hitler believes it can have it give unlimited power, power to their army, but it's kind of unknown what this power would be. Uh, we, so we have the German group, we have a group of archaeologists, that's the group led by Kurt Russell, and then our leads, which we're falling for most of the time, are these two treasure hunters that just want it kind of for the money. Someone hired them to do a job, uh, and they're looking for it because, you know, to pay for whatever they need. Um, where was I? Yeah, so it's a, it's a donor, they don't know who, who uh, you know, hired them. Uh, we get the, this adventure as the group makes their way across the country the arc's location and they interact and find each other's in they find so the treasure hunters and the good group kind of interact and meet up and they kind of lie about their intentions and help out so we get those two groups combined so now we mostly have that group and the nazis um they're they're at some point becomes like a fallout between them uh where they because they're with them for a while and they kind of like all right well now they're kind of finding out that that's not our intention so they split off but they gained a lot of kind of knowledge about it along the way so all three groups kind of converge on the arc at the end of the movie and facing the booby traps and what seems kind of like spirits kind of guarding the entrance. You get more kills, more booby traps, more supernatural kind of stuff going on, deaths to the Nazis and all that as they make their way in. Um, our two main groups end up breaching the arc. The Nazis at this point are all dead. Um, so Kurt Russell makes it at the end as long as well as our two leads. Uh, they open it and they see the same flash of light um, and our main characters start to receive the same fate as the ones in the opening scene. Uh, we now see that they are spirits kind of trapped in the Ark as their bodies fall limp. Knowing that once this process has started, the Ark will not harm him, Kurt Russell is able to grab the Ark. It's revealed that he is the one who hired them, and he goes off with the remaining, remaining crew. Uh, with It seems like he has devious intentions. So he was the good group. It's kind of a twist that he was kind of behind getting everyone to kind of go after this all along so he can get his hands on it, you know, kind of evil ending what's it going to do with his power all right interesting uh johnny what do you have for raiders of the lost ark 
Well, for Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is the canonized the title. title, I believe, of the Not film, actually. just like Star Wars and New Hope episode four or whatever is, you know, in, in most most areas. Um, I am making mine an Indiana Jones movie instead of a very basic treasure hunter movie. Um, so my director is Sam Mendez um, or Mendes or however people like to pronounce his name. I think um, he's shown a lot of range with his films in 1917 was obviously a big hit, but I'm a huge fan of Skyfall and I want a guy who has kind of done a similar type of character before um, Indiana Jones is, you know, pretty much just based on James Bond and expanded to it, but obviously different characters, but I think Sam Mendes can do a good job introducing us to a new uh, Indiana Jones, who in my movie will be played by, um, Dan Stevens, who was in The Guest. Um, he was in Beauty and the Beast, but people forget about that movie because it sucked. But he's great. I really like Dan Stevens. Um, he's good on uh, audiobooks. He does some of the James Bond uh, audiobooks and stuff. But I just really like Dan Stevens. I think he has the je ne sais quoi that like, uh, young Harrison Ford had, and you really need that um, with your character. Uh, I'll get into some of my other guys or people in the movie, but my I left the name Marion. Um, I'm having the same kind of love interest. And in the first movie, Karen Allen played, they showed her to be a badass because she can out drink anyone and kind of outsmart people. But then she is a damsel in distress for like 90% of the first movie. So I'm changing that up. I'm making her just a total badass. It's going to be Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who has an upcoming movie called Kate, where she looks like, um, you know, she can, she can actually do some fights and everything like that. So I want uh, a Marion who can kind of do the fighting for, Indy in a lot of the film when she needs to. Uh, my Brody, uh, who is the, you know, the professor uh, at the school, that is going to be played by Bill uh, Bill Nighy. Um, I, I like that being kind of an older guy. People might know him from like the Harry Potter movies and a lot of old like spy uh, thrillers, but I think he works for the role of Brody. And then I have a character in my movie named Slater, and that's going to be played by Tom Hiddleston. Um, and... Basically, my pitch, I won't go into super detail of plot-wise, because I think while the plots of Indiana Jones are maybe a little more intricate intricate than James Bond, it's basically just set pieces to kind of get you to new locations and fun moments. So I think that's kind of the, the baseline of, uh, of a good Indiana Jones movie. Um, so Indiana Jones, uh, it's going to start off with kind of like a cold open, an adventure of him, you know, uh, getting something, but he's going to actually be successful in this. Like whereas the first Raiders, it gets stolen from him. Um, and then he comes back to the school and Brody informs him that a fellow treasure hunter, uh, who's a little mysterious, no one really knows the guy, uh, but he's brought stuff to museums is contacted about, uh, he's contacted Brody about working with Indiana, uh, to discover something many people have never even believed to be real El Dorado, the city of gold. Um, while skeptical, Indy meets the mysterious man named Slater, and this is uh, Tom Hiddleston. Um, and basically it works out as they team up to try to put the pieces together of what they have to find El Dorado. Uh, but Indy says he has to, you know, he has a couple people he has to meet with before they go on the mission. So he goes uh, to Egypt and finds Marion where she's working in a bar and you kind of get her introduction um, but you don't have Nazis. I, oh, the one thing I didn't say, I'm setting mine in modern times. I think you need to update Indiana Jones and I don't like doing going back and having like the whole Nazi situation and everything. Again, like it's played out at this point. We don't need like a 1940s Indiana Jones movie. I want to see that, but 
you know, modernized. I think they've done a good job with other franchises kind of modernizing them. And I'd like to see them do that with this. Um, so you're going to have a little more technology and stuff like that. But anyway, so he goes to meet her. Um, and she says that she does have a lead that the only person she's ever heard mention El Dorado is a gem salesman uh, in, in Egypt, but they have to travel to him. And my gem salesman is played by Mr. T. So you get kind of a cameo scene. You get a fun little scene of him being this character. Um, he's not going to be in the movie for pretty much any longer than like Alfred Molina was in the original Raiders at the beginning. Um, but you get this fun scene of Mr. T that he can still kind of have his range. Um, but then they're attacked by people. Mr. T is killed. Um, so you get a little bit of a fight scene in there. And you see Indiana Jones and Mary Elizabeth Winstead do their you know, little fight scene. And then so they meet back up with Slater. And basically, they travel to um, Columbia and all these different places trying to find uh, the lost city. And it plays out as Slater um, reveals that he is uh, betraying Indiana, kind of like Bobby's movie. But you get it before they reveal the end. And I don't know. I, I didn't go into super full detail of, like, what the actual items are and stuff. But it will be, instead of the lost city, basically what it is is it turns out to just be a legend, um, but it has all these secrecy behind it. So they find a tomb and it was basically one guy who was the legend of El Dorado because like the actual story goes, depending on what you do, it was a guy who basically painted himself or he covered himself in gold and drowned in a, in like a, an ocean or something. And that kind of spun into, Oh, it was a whole city. And then it was, Oh, it was a whole empire. Um, but it kind of, I kind of want to have like some of the mystical stuff. So you are going to have a similar ending to Raiders where Tom Hiddleston thinks he's successful and he opens like the tomb of the guy that was, you know, drowned and he basically gets like sucked into it. Um, but you're not going to have like all the Nazis heads melting and like, you can't look at it. So I, I kind of still want to have, well, even up to date, I still want to have some of the like mythological stuff thrown in there. Cause that's, I think pretty classic Indiana Jones without it being like, an alien talking to him at the end of the movie. So I want to peel, pull that back a little. I want some decent um, fight scenes, but I think the idea of instead of fighting Nazis, Tom Hiddleston being like the rival to Indiana Jones played by Dan Stevens would be a really good dynamic. And I think that would make the character more interesting. It's more like having um, like one great villain rather than just like, oh, Nazis are bad. And, and I don't think you really get like a true menacing villain in any of the Indiana Jones movies. And I think Tom Hiddleston has shown in the past, he can, he can be that guy who can be, you know, um, he can be charming when he needs to be charming. He can be evil when he needs to be evil. And I think I, I like that uh, dynamic in mind. So that's pretty much the, the main story of my, my movie. Um, and if we want to still call it Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, it's because there was an ark built by this emperor. Um, and that's where his tomb is found. So that, or not his tomb, his, uh, his like casket or whatever that they buried him in. So that's kind of like my arc in terms of that. I was trying to find another famous arc, but other than that, it's kind of like Noah's Ark and I don't want to really bring that into it. So, and I don't want to just reuse Ark of the Covenant because that we've seen before in a movie that shouldn't even be remade. So um, I think mine takes it in enough different directions. It's still an Indiana Jones movie and it's something that people would be interested to see. All right. Uh, Tristan, do you have any questions for either of them? Because I have a question for both of them. Uh, yeah, I have a question for both of them to myself. Uh, I just want to get from Johnny a little bit more about your modern day setting and how does that add to the story? 
Uh, you mentioned like you wanted to not have it be about Nazis. When you started setting it was modern times, I thought, oh, is he going to bring in like the modern era of like the alt-right Nazi kind of thing? And then uh, what? how does the modern times add to your story? Why does this have to be a modern day story? I, I don't necessarily think it, it adds or takes much away from it. I think it just changes it up because nowadays, realistically, I think if they do make Indiana Jones, they'll just always set it back in the 40s or 50s and Nazis are always going to be the enemies. I just don't want that anymore. I want something new. I want new adventures for Indiana Jones. You know, James Bond updated out of the Cold War. I want Indiana Jones to update out of the Nazi times, you know. So I think that just for the betterment of the franchise, I think that going forward helps it because you're not just making the same old movie over and over again with the same basic villains that are just basically no-name Germans like Bobby literally cast as his Nazis. <laughs> Right. I like that answer. And, and did you have a question for Bobby? Or I have a question for Bobby. Uh, how are you? You doing okay, Bobby? You didn't need anything? Need any help? Uh, good, yeah. good. Just making sure, you know. Right over there. Yeah, I'll point give you. Me, give you any advantage you can have in this yeah. situation. Very objective uh, yeah, judging yeah. over there. All right. Um, <laughs> do, you have, do you have an actual question? My no? question no, for, you're, um, for I have no question. I'm sure Johnny has or Joe has some. My question for Bobby is like, what was your reasoning for no Indiana Jones? So I think what it's getting at is so Raiders of the Lost Ark is pretty much a perfect movie. And if you're going to redo Indiana Jones, I don't really want you to call it Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't really want to touch that kind of title in that way. Like, I don't want them to try to redo that story. Um, and I think that the title lends itself to in it just a straight up adventure horror movie. Um, and it can be a one off that will attract people in because of like maybe recognizing the title. But like everyone does know it more as Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark or that. So, but as soon as you see, it's not Indiana Jones, you get the entire concept. Uh, you get, it's this, it's like a one-off horror movie. Um, you know, it's an adventure horror movie. And I think that doing that is better than trying to replicate within the Indiana Jones franchise, the magic of Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right. And, uh, my question for Johnny is why do you cast the science guy in your movie? We, what is Bill Nye? Why is he an actor? Not Bill Nye. Bill Nye. Oh, I don't know how to fucking say his name. Bill Nye. Bill Nye. Nye. Yeah. All right. Um, Bill Nye would have been a cool choice too. He's a, <laughs> yeah. He could play a professor. He just has to be Brody. You know. He was he in uh, Mank for About... like ten seconds. Well, oh, he go. was. He had that random cameo in Mank. I was, yeah, that was like, weird. what? Weird. All Bill right. Nye, he's the one in About Time. So right? no, not yeah. Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill Nye, he the British guy. Oh, yes, okay. he's the father from About Time. Bill Nye, the British guy. <laughs> All right, so without further ado, I'm going to give – I forgot we changed up our fighting style, so, and I yeah, believe so, Bobby yeah, went I, first. I've never – I forgot to mention that before the fight. I haven't fought in this style before, so oh, I'm yeah. interested to see if that tips the scales in Bobby's direction on a couple of the debates. All right, so yeah, Bobby, you get one minute of uninterrupted to attack Johnny starting now. All right, so what I was kind of getting at with my answers to the question is I think that Raiders of the Lost Ark lends itself – because of it is it is a perfect Indiana Jones movie and you don't really want to replicate that within the same franchise. So I think taking a horror direction, getting some charismatic people as your leads, you still get the same kind of adventure vibes, but you get a, a more horror than the original had with John Carpenter's twist into it. You still get you you get the kind of bait and switch of the Nazis, which is why they are still the no name kind of that throws back to Indiana Jones, but then they're not really the real villains. It is the charismatic good guy, Kurt Russell. Um, who has worked well with John Carpenter before and has given great, you know, in the thing and that he's been great in that left. and more and more. So I think you get a great, another uh, team up between them. 
uh, it's the bait and switch where he's the villain because he's always kind of the good good guy in these these movies you get um two young leads that can you're cheering for the whole time and you kind of get the the, it, the twist ending affects you pretty well johnny's is just trying to recreate the same time. movie within the same franchise all right and uh johnny you get uh one minute starting now i think the strength of my movie is that it's actually an indiana jones movie like i said i wouldn't take the plot of any of the indiana jones movies and just like expand on those and get rid of the characters. The reason Raiders is so great is because of the characters and nothing to do with the, the plot arc of the covenant. Okay. You get into some history stuff and some myths like that's fine, but I don't think that lends itself to like a cool horror movie. And I think it would just confuse people seeing a movie, the Raiders, of the lost Ark. If I saw your movie, I wouldn't know if it was supposed to be in the same universe as Indiana Jones. I don't know if it's a prequel to that original movie that I know. I don't know if it's a sequel. I don't know if Indiana Jones exists. I'm just thinking about Indiana Jones the whole time and being like, why am I not seeing this character? I think yours would work as like a mini series. And even like with the actors you chose, Evan Peters is much better on TV shows than he's ever made an impact in films. And I think he's a good actor, but I don't necessarily need to see him be a lead with Haley Steinfeld in your, in your movie. All right. Time. And with that, Bobby, you get two minutes to attack or defend or say whatever you want to say to change our mind or not change, just have our yeah. whatever, <laughs> starting now. Um, so I, I think, Johnny, you, you, again, doing Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, again, I think on its own is a mistake, whether you change your and you're also making the reason for the name. You're just kind of forcing a plot around the title like it doesn't quite fit together in my head like why you would even call it that at that point it's indiana jones and the the you know the lost city of el dorado or whatever you want to call it um and it's a new movie and that that's fine but uh you still tried to recreate a similar kind of plot i don't i think you lose a lot of the charm when you make it modern day because i think a lot of adventure movies get it you add to it with the fact they don't have a lot of technology don't have a lot of other things around you you do kind of have a clear cut kind of villain that you can kind of point at and i think it would have been better if you went to okay cold war like bond like you said updated at least a little bit so it's not nazis but just change still have it a somewhat older times rather than modern day i think it just loses a little bit of its charm i think one minute dan stevens is good but i don't think he can really recapture the magic of harrison ford it's very difficult to do that i would rather them just kind of stop with indiana jones when he's done uh, and do something different with these stories. I think that a horror movie with this, it does fit well. There's a lot of horror in the in the Indiana Jones movies, and it makes for a good uh, good adventure horror tone for this one, for a one-off. Anything else you want to say? How much? Um, you have 33 yeah. seconds. All right, I thought you said time, so that was, no. that was my bad. But um, And I think I have a good mix that John Carpenter can use this cast well, and I think Evan, Evan Peters... Um, We've seen him be great in movies. He's a standout in the, in the X-Men movies, and even in the bad ones, he's a standout guy. When he is in a uh, in a cast like this with Haley Steinfeld and Kurt Russell, he just needs to be a charismatic guy that you want to follow, this young younger kid with her, with Haley Steinfeld. You get Steven Root, who's a great comedic, uh, comedic actor right, who can bring some stuff. I think the group dynamics, basically, is what I was getting at, is great in mine as well. All right. Uh, so Tristan and I were talking. Uh, during this and basically uh, we're kind of of the similar vein here of we just can't govern over the fact of Bobby's feels more like a 
like almost like a ripoff of Indiana Jones or like Raiders of the Lost Ark and not feeling like its own kind of thing. I think my thing right now is I don't know if I could watch his movie and not just wait for Indiana Jones to show up the whole time. And so Tristan and I are of the same mind that we really don't need to give Johnny his two points because the only thing he could do is potentially like sabotage himself. So we're just going to give Johnny the point. That's fair. Oh, yeah, that's, gonna that. Go, that was going to go one way or the other. I liked yeah. the idea, but I knew not yeah. having Indiana Jones in it was a risk. Yeah. I like the idea. I just was not really think yeah. it. I think if, if it was like a, its own standalone movie and Indiana Jones wasn't like a thing and you were like, hey, I have this idea for a movie, I'd be like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. But when it's like supposed to be kind of a reboot or whatever of Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. I will say my original pitch for this movie was a John Carpenter uh, movie and I made it a horror film, but I did have it Indiana Jones. I just had it instead of an adventure movie. I had it as a horror movie and Indy gets like trapped in a, like an old like tomb with all this horrors and, and myth stuff going on. And he has to escape it. And I just felt like, yeah, that's like different than what we've seen. But if we're rebooting Indiana Jones, I, I, I want it to feel like an Indiana Jones movie. So that's ultimately why I, went the other direction. So when Bobby mentioned that it wasn't Indiana Jones, I'm like, I kind of had these thoughts already mm-hmm. of changing it up so much. So it was a little easier to fight against. My, my, so, I will say my only real negative against Johnny's is I feel like he should have updated it, but updated it to like the cold war. And you could still have like the Russians as kind of the villain and just leave. Like they're still the big main, like, r- like, so he can still have the main antagonist that's Russian instead of completely making it modern day. But other than that, I really liked his idea. But outside of that, it's, uh, Bobby's turn to pick since he lost the point. And Tristan, don't forget to update the uh, scoreboard. All right. This is a ner- little more nerve-wracking picking the, the movies now with our our rules, not necessarily getting to all of them. So I'm going to go with one that it, I have to go with the pitches that I like, uh, you know, the most. And I think that I would have a lot of fun watching my version of Can't Stop the Music. All right. Can't Stop Ooh. the Music, uh, if you didn't know. Or couldn't guess that is Tristan's pick, so Tristan is judging this round. Can't Stop the Music came out in 1980, directed by Nancy Walker. Got a 7% on Rotten Tomatoes, $20 million budget, and made $2 million at the box office. So, I don't know if it's really uh, blockbuster. It is an but, attempted blockbuster. But Tristan liked it, and I'm like, why not? Yeah. It's different than everything else we have. Uh So, in this fictional account of the village people, a fashion model helps her roommate try to get a record deal by searching for a proper group to sing the songs. In New York City, she finds the perfect options. A police officer, a cowboy, a construction worker, a soldier, a Native American, and a biker. Okay. Uh, Well, no one really cares, honestly, if this is going to be about the village people, so you have to keep the the idea of this is forming some type of band... And you can't stop the music. And that's what I'm going for, which is my director is John Hamburg, who did I Love You, Man, and Along Came Polly. I kind of want to see him return. He's done some TV. He hasn't done movies in a little while. Uh, My lead kind of guy is going to be Paul Rudd, who's going to be playing the bassist. And and I'll tell you why, but he's rebuilding the band. Uh, The managers, which is where my rule comes in, and they're kind of a trio through a lot of it, are Owen and Luke Wilson. So they're the the, uh, managers of the band, my acting duo or acting uh, siblings uh the singer they recruit is gonna be chris hemsworth drummer is will farrell uh one of the guitarists is jason bateman and the other guitarist is um uh ellie wong uh and then i'll tell you the original band member members were bono slash and chad smith and they're in the very beginning of this movie along with paul rudd 
So the movie starts with a massive concert with the original band members, including Paul Rudd on bass, uh, Bono, Slash, and Chad Smith. They're just playing fictionalized versions of whatever this band is. So you get a big concert scene in the opening. They hit a big finale note and fireworks start from the stage, but a misfire hitting a big stage prop of their logo falls, killing all of the members except for Paul Rudd. We now get a road trip movie following Paul Rudd and the managers, Owen and Luke Wilson, recruiting new members uh, to keep the music alive because you can't, you just can't stop it, uh, to try to re kind of get a new version of this band, still keep it the same thing and, and be able to tour and, and keep their, uh, their music live and touring. Their first guy they get is Will Ferrell on the drums because he looks suspiciously familiar and looks just like the guy that they, they had, which was Chad Smith. And that's been a, a joke before. So you get a kind of brief, brief thing of that. Um, and, most of the guys they're recruiting, they recruit for kind of the wrong reasons. So, like, he's not really that good, but he looks like him, so they pick him kind of deal. Uh, they find Chris, Hem- Chris Hemsworth and cast him as the sing- and bring him on as the singer because of his good looks. Um, Jason Bateman, they find at a bar playing guitar and drunkenly ask him to be in the band just because they think he sounded good when they were drunk. And then Ali Wong is the only one who has mostly a lot of talent and was a huge fan that sends them a fan video of her playing solos of their song. Um, and she's, like I said, the only legitimately good member. They're all pretty terrible, and we get scenes of them being booed off the stage. Uh, Ali Wong ends up bringing um, a song she wrote to Paul Rudd, and it's complete, a very different style, more low-key uh, and baritone for Chris Hemsworth, which fits his voice. Simple but cool-sounding guitar for Jason Bateman, so he can handle it, but just has a good, cool vibe and shows off her creativity and lead guitar with, with melodic riffs. Paul Rudd decides that this is a new band, not a replacement, and renames them, and we get a kind of funny but epic concert at the end uh, of people kind of loving them. But so it's it's a c- comedy, and it has kind of a heartfelt kind of ending a little bit, which I, I kind of enjoy. I like when they do that, um, and you still get a lot of funny type of stuff. You can get the post credits with a lot of funny scenes from the recruiting and like band practice and all that thing. So funny group of guys, road trip, recruiting, movie, and uh, with a sweet ending. All right. I like that. Uh, Johnny, what is your pitch? All right. So, so far we've done two reboots and Bobby took Indiana Jones out of Raiders and the village people out. I can't stop the music and I won't stand for this (laughs) Two iconic film uh, leads. Um, So mine will be the village people, but again, it will be a fictionalized version of the band, just like the um, original was. Um, But mine's going to be a little different than the original because mine is directed by John Carpenter. Um, And my, I didn't aim my characters, but my police officer is RJ uh, Kyler, who is in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl and Power Rangers. My Native American is uh, DeFerro Wunatai, who's going to be in Reservation Dogs and has been in a couple small movies. Um, And I'm excited for that show by Taika. Um, And my cowboy is going to be played by Alan Richton, who uh, was in Blue Mountain State and uh, Hunger Games and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, my construction worker is the great Stephen Yoon. My soldier is Ben Wishaw, and my biker is Zachary Quinto. We've seen him look good in leather already in American Horror Story, um, and I did want to have some LGBTQ representation with Ben Wishaw and Zachary Quinto in the band. Um, and then my head of the neo-Nazi gang is going to be played by Kurt Russell, because my movie is the band manager uh, of the village people is kidnapped um, by a group of neo-Nazis who obviously hate them because they're um, biracial and because they are gay um, and they're this famous band. So the neo-Nazis capture their band manager. And when the village people decide because they're very in character of who they are, 
um, they are going to go after the neo-Nazis themselves. So you're going to get an adventure movie of these characters hunting down neo-Nazis as in, in a costume. So you have a soldier, you get a biker, you get the, uh, you know, Alan Richman being the cowboy. And they're all way too over the top in their characters, but you get a fun uh, kind of action adventure movie of them hunting them down. Um, this is less like John Carpenter's horror movies and more like Escape from New York and Escape from L.A., like the super fun but over-the-top movies with characters like Snake Plissken. Um, I want to see, like Bobby kind of did in the other one, have Kurt Russell be a villain uh, in this film, but Bobby's was like a twist at the end. You get super evil Kurt Russell. And I don't think, like, if I pitched this without ever having seen the movie Green Room, I would have said you're crazy, like that that movie wouldn't work, like Patrick Stewart being like the evil neo-nazi but he's he works really well in that so i'm kind of expanding that it's not just them getting attacked at one room like they're going out being the ass kickers chasing down the neo-nazis and you get just this badass action movie of um the village people uh hunting down nazis and i think that's cool and that's really all that i that i have in there you're gonna have some music obviously because you can't stop it you know they're gonna they're gonna be touring around. They're chasing them down the tour bus. They still got to make it to some of the shows, which are a little out of place because they don't have their band manager. So you get them in interesting setups. You get them performing somewhere they're not supposed to be, and that's where a group of the neo Nazis are. So you get some scenes like that. You know that's that's what I'm going for here. I'm going for the only version of Can't Stop the Music that would ever interest me in seeing it. Bobby's is just a forgettable comedy, and mine is something no one will forget. Whether it's good or bad, you will never forget it. All right. Two uh, very different and interesting pitches. Uh, uh, I have no idea what Tristan's thinking right now, but he's the one that has to pick. So do you have any questions for them? Because I really don't have any questions right now. I'd rather just see him. No, believe it or not, I have a good idea of both movies, even though they're both vastly different takes. (laughs) And I can't wait to hear him argue about it because I think both are really good, honestly. I'm I'm split 50-50 on this, I'm not going to lie. So I think you guys both have a chance to get the win here. All right, uh, no questions. So I think that means, Bobby, you get one minute to attack uh, Johnny's pitch starting now. Yeah, I think, look, like I said, no one at this point, day and age, really cares about a lot of people that are you know, even our age or younger don't even know who the village people are. You might have to just like show should. them. Yeah, no, they don't, but they don't. So no one's really going to care that they're these people in characters. It's just going to be weird that you're kind of having these people in these weird characters. Um, so I think the better way to go is to get rid of the village people and create a more of a music comedy. Uh, and I think that I Love You Man is one of the most underrated comedies of all time. I love that movie. I love the tone of that, that which is very, it's funny, but it's also heartfelt. I like that. I like Paul Rudd as a lead is very charismatic. You get a recruiting fun movie, which is a lot of is always good. Will Ferrell not being the lead, I like him as a side character. A lot of his best roles to me are when he plays a side character, uh, like in old school. I think you can get a good fun drumming character out of that. Um, I think you get up and comer Ali Wong, Five who's seconds. really good, really funny, and also a very good actress that can pull off the emotional moments Time. that I kind of want with her. All right, and uh, Johnny, one or one minute starting now. I mean, it, I don't think it really matters if village people, every single person in the world, no matter how old you are, knows like YMCA. So like people, people are aware of the village people. Um, yeah. But, and people know like, oh, they're, you know, this band that dressed up like this and they were huge for, for the gay community in their day. And people don't really give them credit. You see movies kind of water that down with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody that they made. I want to, you know, really up that, really show that off. You can, and you can have them be as flamboyant as you want them to be. And you don't, 
you know, hold back on any of that. And I think my cast works for that. I really like my my actors. My movie's going to be a memorable, crazy action flick that I know John Carpenter can do and has seconds. done throughout his career. Um, and I'd rather go see my movie, even if it's like, you know, not even fresh and rotten tomatoes. I want a movie that I'm going to remember. I don't give a shit about like your movie sounds like get him to the Greek level comedy, which was like fine, but no one ever remembers it. Like I know you're Five going seconds. for I love you, man, but already you have that too, too much of a reference of uh, Paul Rudd on the base time. All right. Slopping the base. And before uh, Bobby starts his two minutes, one thing I want to say, I don't know where Tristan's thoughts are, but as far as like the people's knowledge of the village people, I feel like even if you don't know the village people, that could be set up in like two minutes of the movie of this band. Yeah, that so I don't know if I need to hear. Tristan may disagree, and, and he's the one judging, but I personally don't need to hear more back and forth about whether people know the village people or not. Yeah, I have my mind made up on that. Uh, so if we could talk about different things, it would be better for the debate. All right. And so, Bobby, your two minutes starts now. I just think your movie sounds like it, it's a lot more ridiculous for sure. And I think that can go very wrong. Um, and the premise with yours, because I can't even, I can't quite get the tone of your movie if this is a straight up comedy with them staying in character or if it's more of an adventure movie like I, I don't know if i'm going to be able to take the characters very seriously if you're supposed to uh, mine you the characters you know exactly kind of what you're getting but they are sweet and heartfelt and funny and you get a lot of funny people that can improv and interact and get a lot of great scenes out of it you get good music in it um and i think yours strays away from the music aspect too much as well it's more of an action movie um or an action comedy i still don't quite grasp that um, and I think that you're using John Carpenter. I think he is much better in the, even though I do like his other movies, his horror genre stuff is what is a lot more iconic and what he is best used for. So I think that's where you probably should have gone with some other movie or even this one, go with a straight up horror movie where people are getting picked off from one something minute. or whatever. But um, I, I don't think you're using John Carpenter to his fullest extent. I don't think that the you're using the village people that great because you're not focusing on the music which is what made them iconic along like them and the dress and all that stuff with the iconic part of them not they're staying in character and they're action heroes and all that so i would i would rather see a better take and, and a true story about them to maybe bring them back into the light because like i said people don't know but i'd rather see if this was a group that people knew more about and you can fictionalize it right away and people know that it's a fictionalized take on these iconic people i think it works better than, than how you did it with the village people um, who were great, but I think deserve their story to actually be told. Um, and like I said, I think my acting duo, I like to see Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson be managers of the band. I think that is that I would love to see them interact with Paul Rudd and all these characters. Five seconds. Um, Chris Hemsworth, you bring the, some of the younger kind of cast in that people will follow now, like Chris Hemsworth Five. and Ellie Wong. So I like that mix as well. And Johnny, your two minutes starts now. Uh, Johnny, before I, you start, one thing I want you to make sure you address is the tone. Bobby brought up the tone, and that's the question I have going in. That's the one thing I want you to address is what is the tone of your movie? All right. For sure. So my, all right. So my, the tone of my movie is going to be kind of a dark adventure action movie. Like you're still going to have violence. You're still dealing with neo-Nazis. Where the comedic parts come from are going to be the actors and the main characters just kind of being themselves and being those band members. So like the whole rest of the tone, like when they're in, like they can be goofy and get on stage. And then when they realize like, Oh, this is like basically an audience of neo-Nazis, it's going to be more of a tense situation that John Carpenter is good at, at doing, but mine isn't going to be like 
as serious as green room. It's going to be like an escape from New York. Like you still get that kind of fun action, but it's an action movie and you get some one-liners and you get, you know, interesting characters, but that's kind of what I'm going for style wise. We don't really get that a lot nowadays. I want it to kind of feel like an eighties, nineties action movie. Like, a, I don't know, a little, a little more, a little darker than like a con air, but still with like crazy characters like that in a way. Um, but anyway, getting similar away from that point is, I've seen your movie so many times and I do not care about it. Like all the same people in those movies, just whatever. Like Paul Rudd is the same guy in every movie and I'm kind of over him doing comedies. Like I'm interested in him and Will Ferrell being in a semi more serious movie with him being like his psychiatrist. But even in that Paul Rudd is playing the same character. He's the same character in everything. And while everyone enjoys that, I don't need to see more of it. It doesn't do much for me. I don't need to see them in a musical like that. Does That's nothing interesting. It sounds like, the um, really weird uh, Swedish like singing movie that uh, Will Ferrell just did like last year, two years ago that no one remembers. And mine is just kind of a throwback to 80s. The last two good movies that John Carpenter did were Escape from L.A. and They Live. And my movie is going more towards those. And I feel like his career got shot when he just started only doing horror movies and he just got bored and he hasn't made anything Five seconds. over a decade basically because of that. So I want him to return to his Time. adventure action movie uh, style. All right, uh, Tristan, you're judging this round, so. Yeah, this was definitely a lot harder than the first round. I think both of you guys had some good stuff. Before I make my final call, I want to get Joe's thoughts, but I do have a call to make. <laughs> um, It's hard because the tone thing was slightly a problem with me for Johnny, and it it's hard, like, depending on when you ask, my thought could go either way. Um. But I would give the slight edge to Bobby at like fifty and a half, forty nine and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm conflicted because when I hear Bobby's movie, it sounds like something that if I was like an executive at the the uh, studio, I'd be like, "Go for Bobby." That sounds like a marketable, like good movie that would be guaranteed entertainment and like guaranteed fun. And there's no way it's bad. <laughs> but I don't think it. I mean, the ceiling is high, but I don't think they would get there. And I I think Johnny's has the potential to be something really unique and interesting that I haven't quite seen before. And I've seen a lot of, like, uh, musical kind of band coming together kind of stuff. I don't know. Like, Bobby's just slightly does sound like something I've seen a couple of times before. And Johnny sounds like something I've never seen before. <laughs> and that might result in a terrible movie. But if I was in the theater and I had a chance to see a ridiculous John Carpenter action movie where the village people are hunting down Nazis and it's like this gay empowerment movie where all these LGBTQ uh, famous people are like hunting down literal Nazis and that's, that sounds like something I'd be into so I'm going to go with Johnny on that with very slight edge Alright I'll tell you this right now, my entire pitch that I wrote for this movie was when the village people's manager is kidnapped by neo-Nazis, the band decides to rescue him themselves didn't write anything else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just like, I don't know where else to go on that. That's why my tone might have been a little all over the place because I didn't have like a story structure, but I just thought it sounded It sounded fun. ridiculous. It sounded oh, fun, yeah. but that was crazy. I couldn't think of what interesting thing I could do with fucking Can't Stop the Music. Thank all you, right. Tristan, for that choice. <laughs> all right, so it is now two to nothing. Johnny leads, Bob, or uh, Tristan, if we update the scoreboard, and that means, Bobby, it is once again your uh, pick. Man, I don't like Bobby all right. picking all of them. I don't know. 
What are you uh, going to do next? Well, it's, it's worked for you so far, but let's do, you're going to go first on this one, but let's do Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. So we're sticking with Tristan Picking. Uh, <laughs> came out in 1987, directed by Emil Ordolino, I guess. 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. At a $4 million, $4 million <laughs> budget with a box office of $215 million, so definitely somewhat of a blockbuster. And this blockbuster hit worthy of a Mount Rushmore appearance. <laughs> Thank you, Joe, for saying that. <laughs> I, I, I'll just say this. I did not write these. Baby, a young woman at a vacation resort begins to fall for her dance instructor, Johnny Castle, played by Patrick Swayze, while training in secret. With a budget of only $4 million, it made $250 million at the box office and was the first film to sell more than a million copies for home video after winning several awards, including an Oscar for Best Original Song. And I believe, Johnny, you are going first, so what is your pitch for Dirty Dancing? All right, so like Joe said, um, you know, I know Joe really wanted this movie on the Mount Rushmore uh, for blockbusters, so I agree. I, I don't think there's a lot you can really do to update this movie i think it holds up uh pretty well so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna have my movie set and released in 1963 so that is the rule i'm using um honestly i'm not going to change the plot a ton but i'm going to add a couple elements that i think could make the film interesting um so my director is uh morton da costa who did the music man my johnny is played by the one and only elvis presley and my baby is going to be played by the great Eartha Kitt. So, um, who most people probably know from the Batman TV series. Uh, shout and out to holes. the 60s. And Holes, yes. But she was much younger in the in my movie <laughs> than what you might know her as, uh, you know, before her passing. So, <laughs> I'm keeping mine as, so Eartha Kitt is, um, she's going to be going to secret dance lessons this dance class that uh johnny teaches which is played by elvis and the reason it's it's secret is because this movie is going to take place um in alabama in the 60s so it's still a uh time of you know segregation and uh very um against uh interracial marriage and things like that and relationships so that's going to be kind of a theme of my movie and that's going to be more of the aspect of why they can't be together than like baby's dad which I think we've seen kind of played out a little bit. And I think those are things that's played out because of Dirty Dancing kind of starting that. So I want a kind of different dynamic in mind. You're not going to get a ton of the parent things, but you're going to get um, a lot of just, you know, people in town, like they have to kind of hide their love for each other. And she's doing these secret classes one-on-one -on -one with him. Like when she goes in there the first time, um, they kind of, you know, hit it off. And then you get, you get songs, you get Elvis songs um, and you get, dancing and you get duets with him and Eartha Kitt. She's a singer as well um, and a dancer uh, professionally, I believe. So they meet there and then you have the movie kind of play out as them trying to be in love, but you have everything going against them and all the people in the town, um, you know, trying to prevent them from being loved or from, from being together. And you get just kind of this, a very similar story of what the original movie is, but you get um, a couple interesting dynamics and honestly it's more just so i get more elvis presley music in my life because we didn't get enough of it in his time and i love elvis so i this i get this is going to be a movie for people who like elvis movies which a worry big audience in the 60s probably not as big of an audience now so i think this might range on whether or not you liked uh watching elvis movies but i do so i wanted to make another one and i didn't think that 
you really needed to change much about Dirty Dancing. So that's what I went with here. All right. And uh, Bobby, what is your pitch for Dirty Dancing? All right. Well, just to get to my rule, because that'll kind of, you'll see where I'm going with my casting. I'm making the perfect movie for Tristan uh, with this one. So kind of guessing who would who would have picked it and, was, and tried to lean into it a little bit. Uh, my director is going to be John M. Chu, who just did In the Heights uh, and did it Crazy Rich Asians as well. He's a pretty, he's a very solid director. Um, my lead character, who I named Ryan in this, is going to be played by Tom Holland. Uh, the dance instructor, Johnny, is going to be played by David Diggs. Uh, the friend, a friend of the dance instructor, uh, main character, is going to be played by Aquafina. Uh, the parents of the of um, of Ryan are going to be played by Stanley Tucci and Jennifer Gardner. Uh, and then the head of the the um, resort that they're at, the camp, is going to be played uh, by Kevin Costner, kind of like the, and I'll kind of get into what, he's kind of a smaller role in this, but he's in there. So Ryan is on vacation at, his, at an upscale resort with his family. His parents and siblings joke about him finding a girl for the summer while they're, while they're there, since he hasn't had a girlfriend to their knowledge yet. Um, they, you know, you can get a funny scene with them doing the safe sex talk. And he's like, guys, I'm 20, like type of thing. But it's just like a, you know, fun family dynamic in the car. Um, there's a dan- dancing competition at the end of their stay. And it's a yearly event that everyone is looking forward to. Ryan, who is gay, but closeted to his family, ends up falling for one of the dance instructors, Johnny. So we get that, that same kind of uh, love story between them, uh, them there with their private dance lessons. Um, early, we get some stuff on the trip with his family since he is, he is, he's out with his friends. He's just not out with, with his family at this point. He does not know how they'll react. Uh, the two dance in private, in private after class, and they decide they'll surprise everyone and dance together at the competition, and that's how he'll come out to his family. We get, a, we get big dance numbers and duets between the two during their practices. Um, and they're, as they're practicing the big lift moment, they get walked in on by one of the other dance instructors. Since Ryan... Since Ryan's family is paying to be there and they want their money, they end up firing Johnny for having relations with a guest. This causes Ryan to have a breakdown and come out to his family in a tearful scene. To his surprise, they all give give him a big hug, have no problem with it, and they kind of have a family bonding moment. Um, The family then comes up with a plan to sneak Johnny back into the resort to enter into the competition. They sneak him in using a laundry truck with the help from Aquafina, um, and she's been kind of in it throughout the movie. Um, he gets in, they enter the competition and blow everyone, everyone away. The heads of the resort, so Kevin Costner, who's been in and out, the one who kind of made the decision to fire him, gets booed and they can't do anything as they try to stop them and they win the competition handedly. Feel good, uh, musical dance movie. Tom Holland has shown he can dance very, very well if you've seen his uh, Rihanna performance. That's true. I also um, went off script and forgot to mention really the finale movie, which is like uh, somebody the original it's a dance competition but it basically the whole movie plays out of um you know the city doesn't want them to be together and they think that they have to hide their love and at the end they decide to join the dance competition together and that's where they show everyone like you know it doesn't matter if you're if one person's black and one person's white or what race you are like you can still be in love and you can still dance and you can still be the best at this and they they win the competition the very 60s style happy ending to my movie but i literally forgot to mention that and then bobby mentioned it and i was like oh fuck i didn't even say anything i wrote so there there's just a, a glimpse into the right. end because i forgot to mention like the actual climax all right uh i don't have any questions for either of them tristan it's your judging again so do you have any questions 
Uh, I have a question for Bobby, since it was the perfect move for me. Uh, I'm curious why you chose to cast who you cast. Uh, Tom Holland isn't someone that necessarily, like, I attached to as an actor. I'm not a huge fan of his Spider-Man, so I'm curious why you chose the cast I, you chose. I think for the type of movie, I wanted to, I didn't want to just, like, I wanted to make the perfect movie for you, and I wanted to kind of give you something you don't know you need, and I think Tom Holland, it, this is a role that you would connect with him with, because he... He one he looks like he he plays struggling with kind of himself very well. He's done that in movies. He can dance. Uh, he can put on a great performance. And and um, I like you know I could have just like I, I considered casting like like Ben Wisha getting like an a, like a you know someone else in there. But I wanted the charisma and something that someone like Tom Holland who has experience really leading a movie and being the star and attention to um, that people can can kind of fall in love with throughout the movie with him and to be Diggs. And I think he plays, cause he plays very, he, you believe him as kind of this younger kid who's struggling with himself. And I couldn't really think of anyone who kind of personified that as well as Tom Holland does currently. Um, instead of just casting maybe someone who's older, who they'd have to maybe like make seem a little bit younger or someone who is, um, you know, on the rise, but not really a star who I really knew could lead this movie. Okay, I like that answer. And Johnny, I have a uh, not a huge question for you, but just something I want to get an answer on is that Elvis has been criticized a lot in like recent years about like stealing his music from black artists and kind of ripping them off and running and getting all the money essentially. And so, why did you decide to make a movie where Elvis is like taking on a race? Do you think that would be something in the modern, like in Twitter world of twenty twenty one, would it be something that you think would age well? I mean, I don't know. I mean, people people talk about that stuff, but a lot of that it was just music in general. I don't blame Elvis for a lot of it. He was just the biggest star of rock and roll, which was originally, you know, uh, you know, invented by by black artists, and and they did with it what they, you know, everything that they did. But like all the comparisons of Elvis, like the last time anyone really talked about him was when Eminem came up in rap, and it was a very similar type of thing, and people talked about that and. No one says anything like that about Eminem now, but Elvis has been dead for a long time and can't defend himself. So it's he's kind of an easy target to kind of mention that stuff. But I think that's more of just what the studios were back then. So I think this coming out in 1963 is more realistic than, you know, time travel Elvis to 2021 and release this movie. No, but this this definitely could be released in 63. And the same people who like the old Elvis movies are going to like this movie. It's not going to find like, yeah, maybe the young Twitter audience isn't going to care about this movie, but I'm not really going for that. So I don't know. That's kind of my thing on that. Like it's a 60s movie of, of Elvis. I don't see anyone tweeting about Blue Hawaii and talking about anything like that, you know, on Twitter now. So I don't think it would be like an earth shattering type of movie mm -hmm. nowadays. All right. Yeah, that's a good answer for that, too. I'm ready for Do you have any questions, Joe? Uh, no, I'm ready if say? they want to just fight it out. Uh, I believe. Yeah, yeah, let's hear the let's hear the fights. All right, hold on a second. Let me get my stopwatch. And I start for once yeah. this time because yeah. I went first. Yeah, Johnny, your one minute starts now. I just think. I mean, I I didn't. I honestly didn't know a lot to do with Dirty Dancing, and I don't think Bobby and I changed it up a ton. I think we added a couple elements to it, but I could see mine being released. I could see mine being something that like I would like to see. I like the old Elvis movies. I would throw this on. Be on turn classic movies and i'd be excited about it and it'd give us some good songs um like some of his best songs were from movies bobby's movie just to me i think you hinder yourself by making the rule 
that you did. If your rule was like, oh, I'm going to cast Mr. T and you had him as a throwaway thing, I wouldn't have a ton to fight because I think your movie sounds like if they did a modern day Dirty Dancing, it would be similar to it. But I don't think your movie is the perfect movie for Tristan. I just think you made a musical of a movie you know he likes. It's going to be a worse version of a movie seconds. that he already loves. And then you say it's a perfect movie for him. But I'm not seeing like Charlie Kaufman direct it or you know someone that Five I seconds. know uh tristan really loves and like actually connect it to um tristan like making a movie for tristan bobby you get one minute to uh attack johnny starting now so i'll start with this before i forget it i i think i basically structured the movie and i came up and i had this is a movie tristan would love and then cast and picks directors that i think could fit the movie so i want to make the best movie possible tom holland one thing i forgot to say that i kind of said early on is i picked also because he's an amazing dancer too so you get some awesome dancing singing numbers with him and to be Diggs, who's a broadway star um so i think that that does add an element that's not in the original i think you can get some very crazy uh choreographed dance numbers between the two of them um between the whole group of people that you have in there in the dance classes and then obviously at the ending um i think yours sounds like you talked about with my last movie yours is a little bit more generic and boring that like you said could throw on tv and but people will forget about it Mine can actually be for a new generation of people falling in love, in love with Dirty Dancing and also for the gay community as well so that a movie that they Five probably seconds. do love, like Tristan does the original, they can actually relate to it um, a little better with Time. this new version and something they can really fall in love with. All right, Johnny, unless Tristan has anything to say, Johnny, you get two minutes starting now. I think just even the title of Dirty Dancing works better for my movie because it's like, this is how it's looked at by everyone else in the town. This is something that, you know, you can't mix races. You can't be this. This is, you know, takes place in Alabama. You're going to get some of that elements with it, you know, kind of ahead of its time in that. Um, And, you know, it's looked at as dirty dancing, not because of how they're dancing. It's because they're not supposed to be together. And yours, you know, the title, like people, obviously nowadays you still have a lot of hate in the world, but the people are more, um, accepting now of the gay community and stuff. So I don't think your movie is going to be monumental for the gay community anyway. It's just going to be, hey, I have a couple gay actors and a gay character and Tom Holland dances. Like, you know, go see it. You're gay. You like musicals. That's kind of how, like, I feel like your movie is targeted, um, you know, towards the audiences. And I don't think it's anything new. I don't think it's anything interesting. Like, it's literally by the guy who just did In the Heights, which people like. And this just sounds like kind of a worse version Mine might not be anything that we haven't seen before, but it is more of someone we didn't get enough of. And your movie just sounds like a boring next step for a lot of your cast and your director, especially coming off a movie that I'm not interested in, but people love um, In the Heights. And I think people would be disappointed if they announced that his next movie was going to be Dirty Dancing. It's like when people announced that Spielberg, after maybe gaining some momentum in recent years, then they announced he was doing um whatever west side story and people are like oh really like that's what you're gonna do next like no one cares about that and no one wants to see like musical remakes of these things i think you know dirty dancing holds up fine as it is now and you don't really need a new one so i don't think that this is a perfect movie for tristan because i think you took a movie that he likes and then you made it worse and then you just added actors kind of randomly five seconds like like you said he doesn't care about tom holland so i don't know i don't think you used the rule properly And Bobby, you get two minutes starting now. So I think I made a I made a movie that 
when you look at it could could go very generic and it could be very like we're going to make a movie for like the gay community but it strays away from some stereotypes that i didn't want to get at, which is like oh the parents who will be disapproving and then you know the family ends up embracing and loving you get that kind of moment to kind of encourage people to be able to come out to their family so that is something that is a good uh thing good thing to portray in film um and i think that yours like i said it falls back into this is just another Elvis movie that a lot of people are going to forget about because he, he did movies. People either kind of like those movies or they don't, they can play it like, yeah, like Turner classic movies and something, but they, you know, it's not something that holds up in classic cinema or anything like that. I think mine is a more, you know, more relevant obviously because it's modern, but also because of the, um, like the aspects that I'm bringing to it, it gives it a reason to be remade because you know, if, if they just did Footloose again, like the, the other one, which is not bad. That remake was not bad, Ooh, but it's generic. It's but it's it's but it's generic, and it's like, why did you do it? Because it's the same movie. At least this takes something like like in that vein with Dirty Dancing, and gives it a reason to be remade. Gives original music to it. John uh, John M. Chu, the way he shot in the Heights, the actual like visuals of the dancing numbers and singing numbers, bringing that to a Dirty Dancing could be incredible especially with people who you can keep on screen in camera, both the actors without getting stunt people in. Um, and, uh, and like, you know, there's the crazy scene in the Heights where they go dancing upon like the wall of the thing. Like he shoots seconds. things in very interesting and, and good ways, which could give it a reason visually to be remade. Um, because I think as, a, as a, his camera work does it, yours just doesn't stand out to me. It's just, it, it is, it's an Elvis movie. If you like Elvis movies, you're going to like it. That's about it. It's five seconds it's not going to stand out to most people. I don't think nowadays, um, and it's not going to stand out in his filmography. All right. Uh, I really don't know. Both these movies sound like not my movie at all. I don't care about either of these movies. So if it were up to me, they'd both lose. So <laughs> Tristan, that's my thoughts. Somehow I'm on the total opposite side of you, Joe, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm into these. It's, it's hard for me because, I don't love the Elvis movies. I've seen them, and they're like enjoyable to throw on the TV at night and get. And, but like, they're nothing that really sticks with me at all. And but when you look at the rule usage, I think Johnny did make a great '60s movie. Like that sounds exactly like something that would come out in the '60s, and I think that's a strong use of the rule. Versus Bobby, where I think he didn't necessarily use the rule to his strongest abilities. I think he kind of, the premise and like the story kind of sounds like a Tristan movie, but he didn't seem to like really get into the details of like oh here's cast that he likes and here's like uh, a director that he really likes so i think the rules are kind of split on that for me i think it comes down then to like the movie itself which of these two am i gonna watch and i guess if it comes down to a turner classic elvis movie that i might watch someday just for like the historical relevancy of it especially like if you're in the alternate universe where maybe dirty dancing the one that i know is a remake of this movie so i maybe go back and watch that to see like the original version but I think Bobby sounds like an interesting movie and might not be a perfect Tristan movie, but I think it, it comes out to be a pretty solid movie. I think it would be an interesting movie for John Cho. He's doing Wicked next, so I think it could be fun to see him be on like a run of musicals. And the original Dirty Dancing is not a musical, so I think it would be fun to turn it into a musical. So I'm leading, I'm going to go ahead and go for Bobby on this one. That's fair. I snuck one out. <laughs> 
I will say my only, I didn't care enough about Bobby's to have problems with it. My only problem really with Johnny's was, I don't know if maybe that's not the dynamic he was going for, but I know like the baby in the original was like this timid person, and I don't know if I could buy Eartha Kit in that type of role, but I didn't even know if that's really what he was going for. Yeah, it's not. I didn't really go into much of that. I honestly just expected, because I went first on this, especially, I was like, I'm just making an Elvis movie because I didn't really know what to do with it. I feel like Bobby's pitch is going to be really good. And then I didn't think Bobby's pitch was that strong. So I was like, I had a fighter's chance, but I didn't really go into my characters and stuff, which if we had the old format, I probably would have. But I I like the one minute, two minute. It definitely you have to kind of narrow down your your points. Yeah. You know, and that one was definitely like I came up with a movie I thought Tristan would love, and I tried to fit pieces in, but I felt yeah. like it was, sounded way too forced when I picked like all of Tristan's favorite people. I'm like, they don't fit these roles that I created, so I like had to back into baby's it, sitting so. right there for you, you know, <laughs> casting already done. No, yeah, Who? yeah, but I can't tell Taylor Swift. All right, oh, okay. so Johnny, you're up. I this is the first movie I'm picking. And I don't know which direction to go, but I think I'm going to go with Gremlins. All right. Cool. That is Bobby's pick. So uh, me and Tristan are co-judging that round. Uh, Gremlins. And who's going first, did you say? Um, hmm. I'll, I'll let you think you know, on because... it while I read the description. Gremlins came out in 1984, yeah. directed by Joe Dante. 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Had a budget of eleven million and got two hundred and thirteen in the box office, so pretty big box office blockbuster. A young man, Billy, receives a strange creature as a pet on Christmas, but must follow the three simple rules. Don't expose it to sunlight, don't get it wet, and don't feed it after midnight. When the creature multiplies, it is up to Billy to save the city on Christmas night. And you know what? I'm gonna go first on this one, because Bobby went first All twice right. and then I went once, so Alright. Even though going going second has helped both of us, um, I'm going to try to change that up. So I had a, a little bit of a slip up in my last fight because um, I mentioned this director, but I am going to make Gremlins the perfect movie for Tristan, um, and my director is Charlie Kaufman. Um, my lead character uh, is going to be played by Nicolas Cage, and I have kind of everyone other than that is kind of very secondary. I didn't really cast many other people or anyone else really it's basically just a nicholas cage charlie kaufman movie and here's my pitch so my movie uh the whole movie is going to take place on an airplane nick cage plays billy an anxious and nervous man the takeoff goes smoothly but when a storm hits and the plane starts experiencing some turbulence billy looks out the window and to his horror sees gremlins on the wing panicking he calls over the flight attendant to see what he just witnessed but when they look out there uh, is nothing. The The movie plays out as an updated take on Nightmare at 20,000 feet, um, full of creepy and goofy scenes involving Nick Cage believing gremlins are trying to crash the plane. You get scenes of Billy surrounded by um, only gremlin passengers and all the flight attendants are gremlins. Um, you get um, uh, as an homage to like kind of the humor of like gremlins to the new batch. I want to kind of... Um, combine the aspects of like the original gremlins and gremlins 2 and then throw some new stuff in there but you also get creepy scenes of billy in the luggage area with gremlins popping out in a more tense uh style of tone um you know because they're trying to trying to kill them and you don't know where they're hiding so you get some of those moments in there um and you also get nick nick cage doing the waltz with a full-size woman gremlin dressed as a flight attendant 
um, in like a three minute dance scene. Um, the film has an ambiguous ending in which you discover the character of Billy is the same Billy who lived through the events of the first two Gremlins movies and suffers from PTSD. Um, you have to decide for yourself what was real and what was in Billy's head. And it's a movie that every time you watch it, you're going to kind of pick up new things. You're going to decide for yourself which direction is this? Like, is this real? Is that fake? Like, are there gremlins on this plane or is Billy just imagining this all? Um, and Nick Cage, I think, obviously showed in Pig that he can still act and that he should be nominated for that movie. I don't care what else comes out this year. Um, but he can do crazy and he can do subdued. And I kind of really want to see him work with Charlie Kaufman as a director. He obviously wrote um, Adaptation, which is one of Nicolas Cage's best performances. Um, but I want to see Charlie Kaufman um, really work with him uh, again uh, to that extent. I think they could work well together, especially after the interesting choices Nick Cage has been doing lately. And I know that that's something that I think uh, Tristan would like to see. And I know he liked, um, he was more of a fan of it than I was, but I did like a lot of aspects of uh, I'm thinking of ending things. So I kind of want to embrace that style, but put it more into um, like a horror movie and also embrace some of the comedic aspects that that movie had. Um, and it's something that everyone, after you watch that movie, you're going to want to talk to as many people about it as you can. And you're going to want to read about it as much as you can to really figure out, you know, the intricacies and what everything means and what it symbolizes. And I think the best director to do that right now is Charlie Kaufman because no one else can really do that even when they try. So I, I want to see something. I think Gremlins doesn't completely need a reboot, but I think if you're going to reboot it, this puts it in a, in something that we've never seen from the franchise while it can also pull from the strength of aspects of the franchise. I think this lends you to all of that. So that's my thing. Also the dude who played Billy was born one month after Nicolas Cage. So they are the same age. I looked that up just to make sure that I wasn't like crazy about that, but yeah, so it works out. Um, January 7th, 1964, Nicolas Cage was born. Happy early birthday. And I will say I appreciate Johnny hedging his bets on who is going to judge this round, including a Twilight Zone (laughs) reference for me, who included a Twilight Zone-inspired pitch in our last episode, and then having a three-minute dance scene with a gremlin for Tristan. (laughs) I like to have, you know, I still want to make a movie that all of us would like, but I did want to make a movie that I think, out of all four of us, I think Tristan would enjoy the most. All right, and uh, Bobby, what is your pitch for Gremlins? Say very, very different directions with this one. Um, I'll get to my cast and director in a second. I'll get to my pitch here. Um, In the opening scene, we see a family feeding Mogwai after midnight and their transformation into gremlins. They terrify the family and leave, raiding a nearby movie theater. While they're there, they see a movie featuring a motorcycle gang. Um, And after that, you see a lot of them leaving and and crashing (laughs) the motorcycle bar and taking them. This happens to be the hometown of Dominic, Dominic Toretto. So this is going to be a crossover with the Fast and Furious movies. Um, as the Gremlins are run amok, um, he calls on his team for most of the, it's just, it's just Dom until uh, his, like certain members arrives, like one person will show up and then a little bit another person. Then you finally get the whole team together by the end that can kind of get, get there. Um, and it's a Fast and Furious style action horror movie. Um, the Gremlins like I said, after they're seeing them, it's a motorcycle thing. You get ridiculous things of like how they kill all these gremlins. There's going to be a ton of them. So they're going to take, take, they're going to multiply and like be a, you know, a ton of gremlins across the whole town. And you have the Fast and Furious crew 
going going up against a gun, bunch of gremlins. Every single gremlin is going to be voiced by Vin Diesel, uh, so he is he does great voice work, and I think that he can kind of that that would be fun. Uh, he does it a lot, and he can bring that to the Fast and Furious movies. Um, there's going to be a cute Mogwai um, that is going to be kind of a friend of Vin Diesel throughout the whole thing that he carries with him in the car and all that. So you still get the cuteness of Gizmo like in the first one, and you still get that um, in this director's James Wan so that you still get some horror aspects with the gremlins kind of terrifying the town's folk and as well as the Fast and Furious members as they like enter a warehouse or whatever that they're trying to to get these gremlins but yeah I, I didn't throw in a too much of a plot other than it's it is the fast and furious members trying to save this town from gremlins that have been multiplying and have kind of taken over um and you know dom and the crew have to take them down and you get kind of fun easter eggs like vin diesel voicing all the gremlins all right does your movie have a title uh i mean Just yeah you can you can uh, you can call it Gremlins uh, on Bikes. Fur- furious, uh, you know. Fast Wrong. Your movie should be Gremlins. called Gremlins: colon, Fast and Furious. God. <laughs> I say, yeah, Fast and Furious Gremlins. Whatever you want to do it. It's 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 gonna have a stupid name like a lot yeah, of the fast, fast movies. It's gonna be mixed with it. So yeah, there it, you go. are any of the Gremlins related to Dom? <laughs> I mean, he's voicing them all, so we very well. They could have been his blood that created them. Who knows? With these movies, it could be anything like that. They're all his children. Yeah. The, the, yeah. All right. Uh, Tristan, any questions for them? You know, the Gremlins are like a family, so um, I'm ready for that. Uh, both two very, very different directions. Like, <laughs> I have one question for Johnny because I think you were saying the most, at least the mass majority of the movie takes place on the plane. So mm-hmm. I'm curious how you would make that location interesting with for an entirety of a movie. What What are some tricks or uh, scenes you might pull to make that interesting? Well, like I mentioned of. Um... Like, with what Charlie Kaufman did, and I think, or uh, what is it? I'm thinking of ending things. Is the movie only takes place in basically like two or three different spots, and you have all of these different scenes that every time you see, every time you see the house, it looks different. Like I want to see like every like so often, you know, Billy will kind of he'll like maybe pass out, and then you don't know if it's a dream sequence, or then he wakes up, and then the plane looks different, all the passengers are different, you get him in different areas of the plane, so you get him going to the cockpit, you get him going to the luggage area, you kind of get, you know, I think not a lot of directors could do that and make it look interesting, but if I'm trusting someone to set a movie in one location and make it look completely new and interesting throughout the movie, it is Charlie Kaufman with what I've seen from him. Um, so I like that because you get, you know, like the dance sequence, you're going to have basically a dance floor in the middle of the plane. Um, and it kind of just like everything else goes black and you get the spotlight over them. Um, and you know, it's going to look like a different set and then you're going to have, um, him just like, you know, sitting in the plane and all the passengers are, are gremlins. You're going to have a scene of all the passengers being Nick Cage and all kind of freaking out. And you're going to have a lot of that. So even if like the setting looks similar, you're going to have a lot of different aspects of things you're going to have the flight attendant change from um i would start it with jesse plemons as the initial flight attendant and then like halfway through the movie completely change who plays him um and you know bring in um i don't know i don't know who would be a good flight attendant to bring in there but maybe like an aquafina someone that can kind of play up to the 
the humorous aspects. So like when it's a more serious moment, it's Jesse Plemons. And then when it's a comedic aspect, you bring in Aquafina as the same, same character. And again, he's losing his mind or he at least thinks he is. So he doesn't know, you know, why this person's completely different. He's like, why did you look different than you have the whole time? And she's like, I've always been like this. What are you talking about? So I think just changing up stuff like that would keep the uh, setting interesting and new. That was the only question I had. I had a good idea for Bobby's ridiculous movie of what it is. <laughs> uh, you got any questions, Joe? Anything to say? Uh, no questions. Just the title. <laughs> <laughs> Never let them get in the cars. Yeah, that's the fourth one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so All right, so I we ready it. to uh, get into it? Yeah. Let's get some fights. Um, all right, Bobby or Johnny, sorry, you have one minute starting now. Again, I think um, if you're going to make Gremlins, I think you want to do something completely new and something we haven't seen. I think it's a franchise that should live on. And I think my movie still shows the love for the Gremlins without just like using them as a joke or a parody like Bobby's movie. Um, but also you tie it to the Gremlins universe and you can do a lot of cool new stuff with it as well as bringing back the old school stuff. Bobby's movie just sounds like a bad version of my Jurassic Park Fast and Furious pitch, which Velociraptors on motorcycles was way cooler than Gremlins on, on motorcycles. Um, and I, I think just Fast and Furious needs to keep getting crazier and crazier. I agree, but I want it to embrace more of like the space seconds. aspects and things like that rather than, you know, it's just Dom in his hometown and then Gremlins are there also. And then they start driving motorcycles, which they're very tiny. So that seems like a very difficult task you know Five i could seconds. more realistically see a velociraptor velociraptor size uh you know driving one of those all right bobby you got one minute starting now so to defend mine a little bit i think what what i was going for with this is fast and the furious is getting ridiculous but it's getting ridiculous and big like way too big for what it is and it's going to run out of room so I think if you make it ridiculous, where now you're introducing that there are these creatures that exist, but you contain it to a smaller area and something that's at least going to be, it'll actually create for a more entertaining movie that doesn't completely jump the gun, even though it's still ridiculous by adding all these creatures. Um, and with Johnny's, I think it's, you're taking a famous Twilight Zone story that everyone kind of already knows, like, okay, there's someone's on the wing and just kind of making it weird. And I don't know if that's that innovative. Like you're t you're putting Charlie Kaufman in there who's going to make it at least like he's going to make it generally interesting, but I can't see that entertaining me for a lot of the time. Uh for that I know you're making a perfect movie for Tristan, but honestly I think that, that you could have used Charlie Kaufman for a better story Hi. than keeping a contained Nicolas Cage on a plane movie. All right, or uh, Johnny, you get 2 minutes starting now. Here's what I'll say. I, I think one of the biggest issues that I did have with um, I'm thinking of ending things is I wasn't really sold on the lead actress. I thought she was fine, but I didn't really get this super entertaining performance out of her. I liked everyone else in the movie and I wish I would have saw more of like a Tony Collette or I believe is in there and people like that. I really want to see that movie style, but with Nicolas Cage with what he's been doing lately, I think could be a you know, one of the best performances we've ever seen from him and one of the best performances Charlie Kaufman's ever gotten out of an actor. I think it could, it works perfectly for what I did. I love Adam Scott, but in the very new, in the new Twilight Zone by Jordan Peele, they did 
Nightmare at 20,000 feet. They did a remake with Adam Scott and it was like unwatchable. It was terrible and it was boring. And my movie, I really want to see that story, but done in a new way, done in a way we haven't really seen with some throwbacks to what we have. So while my movie, I think it's for the fans of the original Gremlins, it's for people who love Twilight Zone, which are a lot of the people that like some of these weird, crazy stories. Um, I think you can mesh those well together. Um, and I think mine just sounds like something I've never seen before, but takes some stuff that I love from a lot of other uh, movies and a lot of other um, areas. And your movie just sounds like, like I said, you said you don't want to jump the gun, but then you have gremlins driving motorcycles. And it just feels like if your movie was made, I want it to be as ridiculous as possible. I want them to jump the shark and then jump a bigger shark and then jump the fucking Megalodon at the end. Your movie sounds like we're going to make Fast and Furious a little bit weirder, but we're not going to like take that next step with it. And I think if you're going to combine these franchises, you should have fully embraced taking that next step and making it as ridiculous as possible. All right, and time. Bobby, you Mm -hmm. got two minutes starting now. Um, I disagree that I think, one... Adding Gremlins to Fast and Furious and having that be the plot is is ridiculous, and that brings the fun and crazy elements. It's just that when you scale it back, you don't have them taking over the world. You don't have them saving the you know a, a nuke from hitting something. You know some all the craziness they could get to with the scale of it. I think you can focus. And what what is actually good about the Fast and Furious movies that is an aspect they've done pretty well is the aspect of the group and of the family. So you get a little bit more of the character interactions in a, where they have to be a little bit more tense and cautious with the gremlins going after them. You do get the fun, ridiculous chase scenes with, with gremlins that could be fun with yours. You're saying it's for films or it like it, for fans of the original. Also, I don't think it is at all. Charlie Kaufman is not for mainstream media with the, with the way he directs at least a movie like you're doing with this. So I don't think that fans of the original movie of the eighties movie are going to go into this and be like, Oh, this like looks like Gremlins that I love and that I know. I think it's it's only for like this is for Tristan. This is for film fans, um, for like film students and that type of thing, which is fine. But that's not what you're trying to make it. You're saying that it's also widespread. Mine I mean, it has enough is, of Johnny. It. Hold on, but mine is more. Uh, yeah, it's a lot more ridiculous and fun. But I think it, that is what people think of and as in Gremlins now is that they are fun movies. The, the original is. Kind of, it, it has horror aspects, but it's fun to go back and watch. It's nostalgic. The second one's definitely fun and comedic. You bring Fast and Furious, which is getting crazier and crazier, into the horror genre. So now that opens up that world to include that going forward so that you can build and build and build and do even different things and make that franchise go on and on because of all the different things they could take down and almost be like the Scooby-Doo crew taking down monsters with, with Dom. Like You can completely change the tone of the movies and franchise Five to seconds. keep it going and not bore... Because it's going to run out of steam. Like these movies, F9, a lot of people Time. didn't like it. And there's going to be, they can't keep getting bigger. Sure they can. That's why they, and they should. All right, Tristan, where are you at? What are your thoughts? Look, it's, it's I'm glad I'm making the final call on this one. Uh, because I'm a little biased when one's a perfect movie for me and one's like an actual different movie. But I think both of these were pretty solid. I think Bobby... I didn't get a great picture of. The, I, I don't know. I got the idea, and I got that it was Fast and Furious, and it was zombies, and it was gremlins on motorcycles, and it was zombies hometown. But I didn't necessarily get like a great idea of like 
I don't know, the moment to moment action of the movie. Like, what, what am I doing while I'm watching this? But <clears throat> I think it's an interesting direction because it's a Gremlins movie. It's not a Fast and Furious movie. So you can say, like, it's a step backwards for Fast and Furious. But if you're bringing Fast and Furious into a different franchise, like, you're bringing Gremlins up, not Fast and Furious down, in my mind. So I'm not going to really knock you for that. I think Johnny did a really interesting uh, choice with Charlie Kaufman and Nick Cage. It's a great duo. They worked great together before, like you mentioned. And I'm very split on this. I would probably lean a bit towards Johnny just because it feels like, obviously it's a movie for me, but you mentioned like a movie for film fans, a movie for like people who are into Charlie Kaufman. It doesn't feel like, oh, here's just a random stuff that Tristan likes. It feels like an actual movie for people who that would watch. And it might not be everyone, but there's like a group of people who would like it. So I'm leaning a bit towards Johnny because it's a Tristan movie, but it's not like an only Tristan movie. You know, there's still an audience there. But uh, Joe's making the final call, so I'm curious what he's How am I are. making? The, this is a co-call. This oh, is it's Bobby. a co-call. Well, this, you know, is we'll make a co-call. this is Bobby's pick. This is Bobby's pick. Give me your thoughts and we can make a final co-call. Uh, it's very hard because I was like... Because I was like, how, how, cl- how much are you, Johnny? I guess I should say. I'm... I'm... Clo- I'm... I'm I'm leaning towards Johnny, not significantly, but marginally, like enough that I would be confident making a Johnny call. That was like fifty-one forty-nine, Bobby. So if you're, <laughs> oh god, well, what's your what's your logic on Bobby? Give me some thoughts. My thing with Johnny is I don't know. I mean, maybe you can persuade me, but the whole thing on the plane fully didn't. If like the movie started there and then it like differed out beyond that, I think I might be. But also, can I can I defend that real quick? I, I'll defend it for you. And we've saying, seen we've yeah, seen so many movies that take place. Johnny, I can I can make yeah. I can answer the question. In, in Charlie Kaufman's recent movie, he had two settings. It was in a car okay. and it was in a house, right. and he maintained that for like a two hour plus All movie. So right. I I think he could do it. Not anybody else, but maybe he could do it. Yeah. All right. Then I yeah, say Air Force One famously went all over the place. Yeah, because my my thing that I could see with. I think overall where we're going to land is Johnny, so I would go Johnny. It was very close. Yeah. How was that close? I'll, I'll take close with that pitch. <laughs> Bobby's pitch was so bad. Bobby's, Bobby's pitch was a pitch, bad it was hard my Jurassic Park. Honestly, it was the movie that was perfect for Tristan versus the movie that was perfect for Joe. Like, I know. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Even though that wasn't the rule that Bobby used, that's basically what the two pitches came down to, and the fact that it was... It just felt like Tristan was more Johnny than I was more Bobby, and I was still like going back and forth throughout the pitches of who I favored. So, if that was the perfect movie for Joe, I got to make some changes on my Joe. Movie. <laughs> All I, right, um, yeah. So that makes it three to one, Johnny. Game point. If Johnny wins the next pitch, uh, it's over. He retains the championship. Bobby has to win out from here. So, Bobby, where are we going? <sighs> All right. Okay. <laughs> so I, I basically, I have a very long pitch that I think is probably my better one. So I'll probably go with that. But my other two are definitely more of a concept. Um, I'll go with E.T. Uh, right, and I'm going to let, I'm going to make Johnny go first again. Cause I feel like going seconds can be a little bit of an advantage. All yeah. Right. Because I can't rebuttal anything you say in your last two minutes. I've realized. And even if you're just spouting off lies i can't say anything to defend myself all right so we finally have a movie that i am judging by myself uh so i'm the chooser of this one 
uh, E.T. came out in 1982, directed by Steven Spielberg, got a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes with a $10 million budget and a $793 million box office. After a gentle alien becomes stranded on Earth, the being is discovered and befriended by a young boy named Elliot, played by Henry Thomas. His brother and little, little sister Gertie, played by Drew Barrymore, the children decide to keep its existence secret. Soon, however, the government closes in and E.T. must phone home before it's too late. Alright, Johnny. All right. What is your pitch? Alright, so my E.T. movie is going to be directed by Jeff Nichols, who did Mud, and he did uh, Take Shelter, and Splinter and a few other great movies. Um, my Elliot is going to be played by Noah Jupe, who is great in the new um, In a Quiet Place Part 2. Also in Honey Boy. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of that movie, but I thought he was the best person in it. And then my Gertie is played by probably the one of the most amazing child actors that we've ever had in Hollywood, Julia Butters. Um, she was obviously in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but she is in an amazing sketch in the new season of I Think You Should Leave. And she is so fucking funny in it. Um, and she's great. So I wanted to put her in there. So I aged up Gertie and Elliot both a little bit. It's not like a 10 year old and like a four year old or whatever. It's more like a 15 year old and like a 12 year old. Um, it's not a big difference, but I think, you know, it makes it a little more adult, um, for them to kind of just like be on their own, I think makes, makes the movie work a little better. So here's my pitch. Brother and sister Elliot and Gertie discover an alien living in their shed. They are scared at first, but realize he is harmless, and they uh, become friends with E.T. They realize E.T. is just trying to get back home and want to help him. But when they are spotted by the government and sent, uh, uh, wait, when the government is sent in to capture E.T. so they can run experiments on him, E.T. gets captured in the back of an SUV driven by government lackeys. Elliot and Gertie try to crash, uh, try to catch it on their bikes, but they are too uh, too slow. They get in an argument. Elliot wants to give up, but Gertie yells, E.T. is family. Did someone say family? A voice off screen says in a deep, raspy, almost evaporated tone. The kids turn to see Dom and the gang from Fast and Furious. We got to get your family back. The kids get in Dom's car and they chase after the group of SUVs. They jump into the back. Um... Oh, sorry. They jump into the back uh, and get E.T. They manage to get in the back of Dom. They get managed to get back to Dom's car, but there is a cliff they are heading straight for. The kids shut their eyes, but the car goes over the cliff, surely to all of their deaths. But the kids open their eyes, and they don't feel the car falling straight down. E.T. is holding up a glowing finger, and the car is flying. You get the classic bi bicycle shot with the moon in the background, but instead it's Dom's car, and the gang <laughs> makes an escape. And now they're flying. They're flying to safety, but that is when the government flies in. They got they got planes, and they're chasing after the cars that are all flying with E.T. controlling them, and you get a fun final action scene of the cars making the airplanes kind of chase into each other. They don't have any guns or anything like that, so they got to really, like, basically do cool driving, but in the air, controlled by E.T., and they make the planes shoot each other down and things like that, and they get to safety, and that's when E.T.'s... Uh, Family comes to get him, and you're introduced to Dom's uh, real father, uh, which is an <laughs> E.T. type alien, and you have the reunion. So it explains why Dom is there at the word family. He can sense it because he's um, related to E.T. Um, in a way. He's uh, of the same transcendent race, 
um, and you get uh, you get ET, um, you get Dom reuniting with his family, and you get ET returning home, and you get just a great movie, um, you know, going on to that. And at the end of the movie, Dom and the rest of the gang decides to get into the spaceship and go with the ET people. So it sets up a Fast and Furious sequel in space fully in space not some bullshit they tried to pull an f9 where they were like kind of in space like getting the satellite we're gonna have a full out alien space movie with fast and furious next so i set up for that while also making a great throwback to et with better actors in it and um it just is gonna be amazing it's gonna be great it's everything i need et is a movie that should never be rebooted but if you're gonna do it do it like this because this just lends you that gap that I need Fast and Furious to cross of making it the most ridiculous franchise in Hollywood. We need a we need a team up of, of Groot and Dom one day. We need Fast and Furious to cross over with Guardians of the Galaxy. And this is like the bridge to get them there um, while also being a great movie in itself. All right. That's how you great. fucking do a Fast and Furious movie, Bobby. All right, Bobby, we'll, what is we'll your see. what is your pitch? Uh a lot less ridiculous is what I'll say. I would hope so. <laughs> That's pretty much. <laughs> All right. So my movie, uh, just to get to it, I, I made my rule is that this is going to be the perfect movie for Joe. Um, which apparently I already got that one. Which, which is it, yeah, just, should just have been copy everything I just said. So, um, <laughs> so Fast and Furious. No. Uh, so my, my it's going to be written by Taylor Sheridan and directed by James Mangold. Um, my lead character is going to be named William. Is going to be played by um, Brian Cranston, and then there's a military man. Eh, all right, but it's hard to cast people for these perfect movies. Yeah, um, I don't hate them. Main so I did one thing. Is going to be uh, Michael Shannon is kind of like the main military villain kind of guy in this one. Um, but this movie early on shows a kid meeting an alien with a scene of him leaving to get on the ship, reminiscent of the original ET. Um, we cut to an older man now now is Brian Cranston who has been called crazy his whole life and because he believes in aliens and has been telling people about these existing um, and his family when he was younger put him into a psychiatric hospital um, and he's kind of dealing with that now uh, dealing with a lot of problems with his life um, and now suddenly we see that E.T. or his race is returning now to a begrudging man to help him it is it essentially examines someone going through a crisis of faith as he's starting to starting to not believe his own experiences and thinks he must be crazy uh, he initially refuses E.T., knowing all the problems it caused before, and E.T. is captured because of it and brought to Area 51 for examination. Uh, after seeing E.T. in trouble, he finally comes to his senses, and we get a rescue mission of him sneaking into the facility and breaking out E.T. Now we have kind of a buddies-on-the-run type movie after he gets him out, uh, with William trying to figure out exactly what he is helping E.T. to do, because it's not just to return home. He clearly came here for a reason. Um, it turns out there's another race of aliens on the way to Earth, but if they were able to communicate with the aliens, they would be able to avoid uh, an intergalactic war. Um, E.T. is trying to lead them to a crash site of a ship with technology that would allow them to communicate. Um, as they venture there, they run into the government multiple times, leading to escapes and action um, where E.T. is able to make objects fly and escape. Um, not quite like Johnny's uh, saving them with a car, but, you know, you still get floating things to, to help him out uh, and heal William if he's injured. Uh, we get a touching scene where he stops to help a soldier who's mortally wounded, even though William wants to keep going. Uh, seeing E.T.'s compassion helps to start kind of change William um, as he's kind of become 
uh, to, mostly to himself with everything that he's gone through. Um, uh, after a standoff, um, when they're kind of tracked down, William's able to kind of ex to explain to uh, to to Michael Shannon's character why they need this technology, why he's here, and that it would be better to help human help the human race to actually uh, to listen to him rather than take him into study. And we get an, an emotional goodbye with ET going back to his own planet and William uh, losing kind of his one friend, but he's now changed. Uh, he has now changed his perspective, and we see him at the end interacting with other people now in the town. Uh, reaching out to family and making friends much happier than we found him. Family. 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 Sounds boring. Phone right. home. So, here's where I'm at. And Tristan as co-judge may have different opinion, but I could, I could let you guys say your things for like Two minutes and one minute, but I just don't see a scenario in which I vote for Johnny's Fast and Furious crossover. What? Yeah. Like, That's shocking. To me, that seems like a SNL sketch or like a commercial or just like if that tone was... went like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bullshit. I thought I... for sure you were about to say I can't see a world where I choose Bobby's. Like Bobby's, like I wasn't a hundred percent feeling it, but I'm like, no matter what you what you guys say or attack each other with or defend each other with. I, I can't, I can't. At what, at what point in my movie did I lose you? <laughs> uh, when the Fast and the part. Furious crew showed up. I was all in until I, you I, said I Vin Diesel's Alien Dead. And I was, yeah, I added that in because I did that originally uh, with the T-Rex. I think my problem with yours is just the original meeting between E.T. and Fast and Furious. If everything's like a kind of normal, yeah. solid E.T. movie and then Dom just happens to be there. And then also we've seen Dom's dad at this point, so it just doesn't... I mean, granted, they wreck all we? the time. And, yeah, in Fast and Furious 9. I don't buy it. Well, there's like half the movie is dedicated to like his dad, so there, there were just multiple times where I was out. I think I would have liked Bobby's overall pitch if it was just older Henry Thomas and he was interacting with ET as like an older guy yeah. again, and he didn't. Really I just didn't it. want to make a sequel to it, technically. Yeah, like I, there was that commercial that came out like two years ago that was like older, uh, older Elliot and ET. But yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm not. I'm not gonna. We're already at an hour forty-five, and it's potentially have two more pitches left. So I'm just gonna call this one early and say Bobby gets the point. Well, that's upsetting, but that leads me to we gotta get a to one choice you know, here. Um, I mean, I have to go with the movie that I chose for this, which is. One of my favorite Bond movies, Octopussy. All right. And, and I'm going to make Bobby go first. All right. Like okay. Johnny said, he picked Won't this one. So Tristan and I are co-judging this. Octopussy came out in 1983 and is directed by John Glenn. I doubt that was the astronaut. Got a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes with a $27 million no, budget and a $187 million <laughs> box office. Uh, Special Agent James Bond is assigned the task of following a megalomaniacal Soviet general who is stealing jewelry and art objects from the Kremlin Art Repository. This leads Bond to a wealthy, exiled Afghan prince, Kamal Khan, and his associate, Octopussy, and the discovery of a plot to force disarmament in Western Europe with the use of a nuclear weapon. And I will say, I should probably read these beforehand, because it's very hard to read words like megalomaniacal on the spot. 
right. Definitely a larger word than they use in that movie. Yep. For at sure. all. All right. So so here's my thing with Octopussy. I think if especially if you're you're keeping the title like you really can't do a, a more like modern like James Bond take what you what they're doing right now. So I'm essentially making a one-off Bond movie. Like this is going to be away from the continuing like franchise where you're going to have the same actor in multiple things, but it gives me a chance to cast someone who I'd like to see as James Bond. Um and a lot of people did, but he's too old to start a franchise and that would be Idris Elba. So he's going to be my James Bond. Um someone he just worked with is going to be the director and that's James Gunn because this is going to be a one-off, so he can kind of do a little bit more of what he wants with this. Um, Mr. T is going to be in my movie as the two henchmen twins, so we get two Mr. T's that he gets to fight uh, as kind of assassins. They don't get to, you know, they don't do too much as far as acting, but it'll be fun to see them. Uh, I have two other spies uh, with Bond in it. It's going to be 009, played by Nathan Fillion, and 005, played by Karen Gillan. Um, Q is going to be played by Michael Rooker. Uh, Khan, the, the villain, is going to be played by Alan Tudyk, and Octopussy is going to be played by Linda Cardellini, um, who's in who's in Super with James Gunn, and also we a lot of people know her as Velma, or Hawkeye's wife, um, but she's very good. So Bond, so plot wise, I mean it's it's a Bond movie. You can keep it very similar to the original without really throwing too many people off. It's a Bond story, but I'm just changing up kind of uh, some main aspects of it. Um, and the kind of tone of it, but similar, very, like I said, very similar plot wise with Bond. And, um, Bond is serious and taking things very seriously, but kind of the ridiculous things are happening around him, uh, as well as kind of more ridiculous characters. The main change is that he needs a group to go with him on the mission, um, so that's why he has the two other spies to interact with, and they are expendable, so we can get people getting killed on the main team that James Gunn likes to do. Um, and also in the in the very end of it, Cube, played by Michael Rooker, even has to join the fight, so he gets to use some of the the stuff that he has built, um, the technology. Uh, it's rated R, and the deaths are are very violent for sure. It's not blood splattering exactly like Suicide Squad, but it's definitely a more violent Bond, but with more comedic tone to it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a t- more of a team team oriented bond movie but he's definitely the leader of it we get to see Idris Elba play bond and you get a more comedic kind of take and a in a one-off story where you can do a little bit more of what you want rather than trying to uh you know continue this actor in all of bonds and play it a little safer so you can go a little crazy all right and uh johnny what is your pitch for octopussy all right so I didn't go with a one-off because I feel like that's some BS right there. But my director, um, we've never had a female uh, Bond director, and I think it's fucking way past the time for that. So I'm going to go with Lynn Ramsey, who did uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin, and uh, You Were Never Really Here. I think she would be a perfect choice uh, for a Bond film because some of my favorites are by people that kind of did more serious movies and then did a Bond movie and made it amazing. Um, And I think she could really do that. My rule is I'm casting a pair of acting siblings, but I'll get to that. My James Bond is the only person in the world I want to be the name, the next James Bond. Um, it's hard for me to even envision anyone else, even though I know this probably won't happen because um, he's British, but he is also Asian, and that's Andrew Koji. Um, he has the look. He has the personality. He can be James Bond, and he um, is amazing. The, my favorite thing about the James Bond franchise, which is my favorite franchise of all time, is that 
you can't watch another franchise in history and see um, every different genre of and style of like movies. Um, and I think Bond does a good job of kind of taking what's popular and then expanding on that. Um, if you look at Casino Royale, that was an expansion on like the Bourne movies. If you look at, um, you know, obviously Moonraker, it was because of space movies, but it's something like Live and Let Die in the, in, that came out in the 70s was a black exploitation movie. You get so many different elements. So I really want to embrace like the big action movies now. Um, if you look at uh, Shang-Chi coming out, if you look at, I know it didn't get uh, great ratings from critics, but if you look at the style of um, the new G.I. Joe movie, um, if you look at the Raid movies, like I want to expand towards a lot of hand-to-hand combat and some of that martial arts aspect of what's huge in movies like John Wick and stuff exist now. So if another James Bond movie comes out, that's what they're going to pull from. So I really want to stay true to what the franchise has done um, and then expand on those. And that's, that's what we haven't really gotten from one before. So my cue, um, I think the, one of the most important things of a Bond movie is the cast. So my cue is played by the great Andy Serkis. I think he would be super fun in that role, get a couple scenes with him explaining the gadgets and things like that. My M is someone who could have been a great James Bond in his day, but that's Clive Owen. I like what they did with Ray Fiennes. I'd like an M that you could have seen in the field before uh, being like the office diplomat type character. Um, my money penny is going to be played by Amber Rose uh, Reva, who was in The Punisher. Um, she's kind of the main like detective in that. Um, I think she can, you know, have a cool chemistry with him. Uh, my octopusy, which is the lead uh, Bond girl, is going to be played by uh, Sonoya Mizuno, who people know from Devs and uh, most of Alex Garland's work. Um, my Kamal Khan, I left the name the same, is going to be played by Marwin uh, Kanzari who aka was hot Jafar uh, in uh, in uh, Aladdin, the new one. And he was like the only good thing about that whole movie. I thought he was great. I, I mean, the cast was okay, but he was really good. And I think he would be a perfect Bond villain. And then I have two throwing dagger henchmen as an homage to the original. And that's going to be played by my rule um, to uh, acting siblings. It's going to be played by Alex Wolf and Nat Wolf, who I think are, both two of the best actors in Hollywood right now and good in small parts as well. Um, and then my main henchman besides that is going to be played by Joe Taslam, who is just a uh, scorpion in mortal Kombat, Um, and he was in the swordsman movies. And then my song, because the only, um, and Bobby kind of mentioned this of like, if you're going to put a movie out now, that's called octopusy, that's kind of a little problematic. So in any country, I can name it Octopussy. It's going to be called that. But in other countries where you can't name it Octopussy, it's going to be called Property of a Lady because that is the only um, short story by Ian Fleming that's never been turned into a title for anything. Um, and because Octopussy, the octopus is owned by um, Sonoy Mizuno, I think that's a good name for the song. And that's going to be, I'm bringing back Adele. I want her to be the Shirley Bassey of the new Bond film. So I think she's a good introductory um, singer for the new for the new uh, Bond song and the thing about Octopussy was I mean it came out in 1983 it is the last time that we got a Bond movie that had a cold open that wasn't related to the rest of the story of the like the movie that plays out and I kind of like those in the early Bond films so the other thing we haven't seen in a while is a great ski scene and that's something that's great in Bond so my cold open is going to be a ski scene down a mountain in Germany. Bond is being chased by henchmen um, on skis until basically the climax of it is he makes a miraculous jump. But instead of like putting the uh, 
the British flag uh, parachute up. He grabs onto a helicopter, like onto the rails of it, driven by a woman that he was seeing like at the very opening of it. Um, yeah, cold open ski scene. Yeah, you get it. It's a true cold open. Um, so I like that because those are a couple, just a couple elements that we haven't really gotten. And I want to kind of return to some of that with the new Bond films coming up. And I think this allows you that opportunity. But then the plot, again, like I mentioned with Indiana Jones, the Bond movies are the best plots of those movies are basically just set pieces. They're like, they're just kind of storylines to get you to the next set pieces. So that's what my movie is going to be. It's going to have a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main kind of overall plot is that M calls Bond into his office. Um, and that's the first thing you see after the song ends. Um, and then you get, uh, he t- tells him that a, a U.S. nuclear warhead has gone missing and they want Bond to investigate a smuggler's ring in Saudi Arabia um, that is kind of disguised as being the largest circus, kind of like a Cirque du Soleil type place um, there. So Bond goes to discover that. He meets Octopussy, who is going to be in an arranged marriage, basically to Kamal Khan, but she wants out and she kind of reveals the plot to him of it wasn't a stolen U.S. warhead. The U.S. and Saudi Arabia are allies and Kamal Khan basically has is very powerful and he got this from the U.S. Um, so and he plans on possibly either using the nuclear warhead to start a nuclear war or use it, um, you know, in a way to uh, basically gain money and things like that from other countries kind of auction off or hold it, hold it ransom for for like the British uh, government and things like that. Um, and then basically the movie plays out. You get a, a, a cool scene on a train where Alex and Nat Wolf are dagger henchmen and they're chasing Andrew Koji, throwing knives and stuff at him. And you get a little hand-to-hand combat there, but you get more of that when you get the final meeting between um, Joe Taslam and Bond. And I want that in like the middle of a circus and you have a, a lion in the middle and then you get a hand-to-hand combat where they're also trying to avoid this lion. So you get a cool set piece there. Um, and basically, you know, I want to return to some gadgets. So you're going to see his watch have a couple more interesting things and just blowing up like inspector um, and things like that. But for the most part, I just kind of want this to be a great action movie with the style of like a John Wick action scenes. That's that's what Bond is going to pull from next, um, you know, when they make their movie. I think sometimes they learn the wrong lesson from what's popular now. They already tried to steal the stuff from the Marvel Cinematic Universe of connecting every movie with Spectre. And that's one of the reasons that movie failed. Um, you know, I mean, it made money, but it failed in terms of people didn't like it because they tried to connect everything. So I want them to t- go away from trying to connect everything and just start a new franchise. Basically, you're kind of rebooting after Daniel Craig. And I think this allows you a great opportunity um, to do so. And I think it's realistic to kind of have a reboot of an older movie because a lot of people are calling for um, a remake of on her majesty's secret service and that's what they want daniel craig's next bond movie to be so there's definitely an audience for that you don't have to change it you don't have to make it a james gunn movie and make it something that doesn't fit into the universe you can make it the new james bond here's your new guy we're going to make it different we're going to make it look different but it's still going to feel like bond you're going to get um awesome set pieces and you're going to get just a, a super cool bond movie um and that's kind of where i where I went with it. And that's really all I, I think I have to say about my, my film. Right. Wish you could have said more cause you didn't say much. So yeah, yeah just that, right. <laughs> just that, you know, I could go on. All right. Tristan, <laughs> do you have questions for any of them? I don't have a ton of questions. Uh, not for Johnny, uh, at least, uh, for Bobby, I want to get a bit cause Johnny kind of roasted you for a while about like making it 
feel different and feeling like, oh, it's this James Gunn movie, it's this team up movie. So get to that in your arguments more so than the question. But yeah, that's Mm -hmm. something I want to hear you get on. Yeah, well, my question too for Bobby too is more just like the Americanized. It feels feels like very Americanized for what is usually like a British property with like Q being Michael Rooker, who I picture as like this kind of Southern guy, and then one of the double O agents is Nathan Fillion. And so, if you want to answer that now or just save it for your arguments. Yeah, I mean, I can just say, I mean, like there are American actors in a lot of Bond movies. It's not every single person is British, but um, as far as J.W. Pepper. Yeah, but Nathan Nathan Fillion um, has done British accents in, in a lot of movies, and he can pull that off, or at least in, in a few that I can remember, and he can pull that off well and play it. Um, Karen Gillan is British uh, and and that, but it's, honestly, it's just James Gunn's going to bring people he knows, and people can do accents. Like It is a very British thing, but I am intentionally changing a lot of it up, okay. and I'll get into more of that now. All right, well, you have one minute starting now. All right. So I think what it comes down to is Johnny made a James Bond movie. He made a very basic James Bond movie and then just made it, he made it hand-to-hand combat. One problem is you did, for the style of movie you did, which is on the more serious side, like it's an action movie, but it's, it's definitely not going the more ridiculous Bond stuff. The title Octopussy and a character named Octopussy does not fit at all. The, the even yeah, having the character, it, the, so it doesn't, but the, um, so yeah you're changing the title in some areas but then you have the bond girl which is a very derogatory term named named octopusy i don't think that fits right now so if you're going to use that title and reboot a movie like that i think you do go a little bit more ridiculous and be like here's a movie in between while we figure out what the next bond is and you get to change it up do a little bit more of what you would um what like what they bond would be taking what a lot of other popular franchises are doing now which is going hard r with their action like suicide squad like deadpool like john wick and those are like a lot of the very popular movies is to say, Time. oh, is it rated R? Is it rated R? So Bond would be following that trend. All right, Johnny, you have one minute starting now. I watched The Suicide Squad last night, and I was blown away by it. I really loved it. I think it's the best DC movie since The Dark Knight. And a big reason for that is because clearly the studio didn't step in and say, James Gunn, you have to do what we want. You can do anything you want. He would never in no world be able to do what he did with the Suicide Squad with a James Bond movie. The franchise is too important. It's not something in disarray like DC uh, has been until recently. Um, So you're not getting a true James Gunn movie. It's going to be a completely watered down version of what we got. So I think you chose the wrong director because I don't want to see him be bogged down by studios. I think James Gunn can make the best movies um, in Hollywood if he just gets to do everything he wants. He's never going to be able to do that with this. Um, And the other thing is like, as far as the action goes, like I'm watching Bond for for action sequences, and I'm not like impressed by anything James Gunn has done action wise. It's more of comedy, and I think that's not like I don't want to go down the Roger Moore area with um, with that, especially with Andrew or uh, with uh, Idris Elba as your lead. It sounds like more of a Roger Moore movie than a new James Bond movie. All right, uh, Tristan, you got anything for him? No, I don't got much okay. for him. I was just letting yeah. him start his two minutes because gotcha. sometimes you add some stuff to say. But all right, Bobby, your two minutes starts now. I think James Gunn's shown by working in Marvel with constraints, very heavy constraints, and working in DC that he can do fantastic movies because Guardians of the Galaxy is still one of the best Marvel movies and it shows it brings some <laughs> of these group of characters that you don't know and into some of the most beloved in the franchise. So James Gunn can work in whatever whatever he's given. He can uh, he can make it something that is his own, and I think he can do that with Bond. 
Um, and in my version, they are letting him at least make it rated R, like, you know, that in that aspect, as far as the action and the comedy goes. Um, Idris Elba, he is, he would play a fantastic lead Bond, and he's the one that is taking it seriously and being Bond, the one you love, the one you can follow. Um, and I think that plays well. Yours, like I said, it is. It's You would go see it, and it would be a fine James Bond movie. But you didn't... It'd be a great Bond re, movie. To reboot the franchise, I don't think you changed enough to keep that going and give it a new twist. Because that's what they did with Daniel Craig, and that's what kept that franchise... It completely, it completely changed it from uh, the Pierce Brosnan movies, and that kept that franchise alive and going. Now they have to go in a completely different direction to, to keep it relevant and they have to keep changing and modernizing, and this is a good way to at least get people talking about the franchise again. Did, did you see what they did with the new James Bond movie rather than, oh, you know, they brought a new actor in, but they made a James Bond movie again, and it didn't seem like the tone or the any aspect of it changed enough to keep it alive to me, um, and this seconds. would do it. I think it would keep it in the conversation, would keep it in the movie sphere of people talking, okay, they, this is interesting, this is cool, they're letting him do this, um, and I, you know, I think my cast brings a lot of charisma and and comedic tones to it and james gunn i think the action does work well in the suicide squad there's a lot of good action in that movie along with the, the comedy uh just watch harley mm. quinn's escape scene in that it's amazing it's shot fantastic she gets to use that uh, i mean i don't want to spoil too much but it's a it's an amazing uh scene and shot very well you Time. can get that mixed in with the comedy all right johnny your two minutes starts now See, I don't want something that doesn't feel like a James Bond movie. Yours doesn't feel like that. And I think that's like the point of your argument. But like, I'm a, I'm the biggest James Bond fan of any of us. And I can say that confidently. But like, I want a Bond movie that still feels like a Bond movie. So that is what I went for as far as that goes. But I do think I changed it up enough. You have a lot of different style action that you've seen before. You get updated, um, you know, hand-to-hand combat and fight scenes and things like that that we've never gotten in a Bond movie. Um, I like that you say that um uh what was i gonna say you know james gunn um i don't know everything about that like i mentioned that in my one minute so i don't want to waste my time here but the the thing about it is he is strongest at comedy and not when it comes to a movie like this i don't want to see him bogged down which he would be there's no universe that an r-rated bond movie comes out and that's not something that i even want to see they're pg-13 it's one of the it's a classic franchise that you know stems back from the day that does that um, and I think that's something that it can stick to. I don't need a drastic change. The last movie, while I wasn't super impressed by it, still was a super successful movie, and I'm very excited for the next one. I don't think it needs to drastically change from the Craig movies, but I think having um, more of an Asian influence on it will definitely do that. I think having a woman's touch on it would lessen the impact of, like, Octopussy. You could actually have a commentary on that rather than, like, that. Like, you mentioned that you know, a serious Bond movie shouldn't have a character like that. One of the most serious Bond movies ever made is Goldfinger. And that's one of the best of all time that people still talk about. And literally Pussy Galore is the the name of one of the most classic Bond girls of all times. It doesn't matter what these characters' names are. Um, but I think that's just part of the culture. That's part of Bond. That's something that, that does it. Just because her name is that, maybe people don't take her seriously at first. But Sonoya Mizuno is such a great actress and such an amazing, um, you know, diverse actress that she can do anything and people would people would leave this movie saying she's one of the best bond girls ever no matter what her her name is and I, I i just think with yours it doesn't sound like something that would ever actually get made maybe it's like a fever dream Time. you really like james gunn but my movie sounds like an actual bond movie that people would want to see all right so me and uh, tristan have been talking and we were a little split at the beginning but i think we have our decision
Yeah, I know you're split because it came down to I love Suicide Squad and Joe didn't like yeah, it very much. I was going to say, well, you, <laughs> ruined, my, kind of a you just ruined my bit because yeah. I was going to say me and Johnny could not be any further and that and to make his heart pound a little bit and that's that i did not care for the suicide squad that much um that's surprising i thought it was good i was surprised I by by how much awesome. i mean obviously it, how interesting movie. it was yeah. but you know what movie i do like i like john wick i like the raid and i feel like yeah. that would be a fun i feel like johnny's was enough similar to the james bond movies of the past to feel like james bond while also taking it in a direction where I just, I just feel like Bobby's is more of like an interpretation of Bond, and it's nothing I could ever see James Bond. Yeah. I don't think the Broccoli's would ever let James Gunn be James Gunn, and so no me, way. me and Tristan agree. Johnny gets the point. Johnny gets the win, and Johnny Whoa! remains yeah. the movie changeup champion. I'll give a little background on that pitch, by the way, because the pitch I had for this movie up until today was almost exact. Johnny's pretty much I had you know it was the Asian influenced bond but I, the more I thought about it I was like Johnny's going to do this and I can't do it better than him I shouldn't pitch his strength against his himself so I completely changed it up after watching Suicide Squad I, so just to have a chance I will say my problem with the Suicide Squad is not a problem I think it would have with Bond as I just felt like the t- movie was too scattered I felt like the movie could have been better if it tried to make any of the characters the main character instead of kind of jumping around too much and that was my main problem where if he was doing a james bond movie like james bond is clearly going to be your main character so that's not really going to be a problem but uh we unfortunately did not get young guns which is the pitch i was looking forward to the most however we can we can give a brief breakdown of what that is our our idea of what what i've thought of before is because we're going to have this more often of pitches that don't get used. And so we can have fights in the future where beforehand you have two competitors that have six or seven movies that they have written, but never used. They number them one through seven, submit them to the judges. And then on the spot, the judge pulls a number out of a hat and it's number two. And so it's your number two versus your opponent's number two. And it's two completely different movies with two completely different rules. I think wins. we could do that going forward, but honestly, I didn't write very much for this. So if you want to just go over it, it's two hours and nine. So if we want to just, I'll give you a guns, I would like to hear the young yeah. guns pitches. So my young guns, if anyone had been keeping track, my rule was make a movie perfect for Joe, and I'll just do it briefly. I, my director, Bobby, and I agreed was James Mangold, um, and then my movie starred Mark McKenna, who was who was in the amazing show Wayne, and he was in Sing Street. Ty Sheridan, who was in Mud, Nick Robinson, Florence Pugh, and Sasha Lane, who was in um, Loki. And then basically, I made a Young Gun Star Wars movie where five bounty hunters are hired to herd uh, beasts like across a dangerous land on a desert planet and then get attacked by um, a group of bandits and have to kind of just defend themselves and survive and try to complete the mission. So that was essentially my whole pitch i'm not going to read it but that that was pretty much mine i made it a star wars young guns but directed by james mangold and i think the only thing that would have hurt me on this like if we were actually arguing is i don't know enough about like the extended star wars universe to actually use like real characters or creatures or planets i would have preferred if you were going that direction i would have preferred being like these are seven whatever characters we've never seen before yeah and that's what i like but i wasn't sure if you needed like an established character or not. So I didn't put one in, but mine was basically 
it's a Star Wars movie directed by James Mangold that is Young Guns. It's a very similar story, mm-hmm. but it's a completely different um, like type of movie. It looks yeah. different, but it's still like a Western because I think that it, both of those things are like right down your yeah. uh, your alley. And we've seen James Mangold make really good Westerns in the past. All right, and uh, Bobby, yeah. what did you have? Well, mine, if you were keeping track of rules, and I won't – like, if I was fighting this, I'd put a lot more into the actual, like, improv of the pitch and, uh, you know, <laughs> be able to put more into it. But uh, it, my last rule is make it a 60s movie, so I did – it's a Sergio Leone movie to get an, another uh-huh. kind of go at that. And it's um, Clint Eastwood, Henry Fonda, Charles Bronson, Jackie Lim, Steve McQueen, and James Gardner. So a lot of okay. stars from his movies and other westerns, and it's a very similar – you know, it's the story of Billy the Kid – um, and he and it has that group of people in it. So I would have gotten a few more details, but for the most part, it's a '60s Western movie. Well, I got bad news for the both of you. You both would have lost because Tristan, <laughs> uh, when we were coming up with these, he submitted what he would have done for mine of Young Guns and make a movie perfect for me. And he uh, had his directed by Robert Rodriguez, starring Brad Pitt, Pedro Pascal, Wyatt Russell, and Haley Steinfeld. And I would have been all about that. They're Young Guns. Yeah. Don't care. They're young. Like what? Old Guns, the sequel. Don't Haley Seinfeld, you know, pushing pushing sixty there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, both of those it would have been interesting because I would have liked both those takes on it. So I was hoping it didn't get to last one because I didn't really write anything and I was going to have to improv like the, the how the actual like movie went. What I was, but I yeah. didn't feel like talking anymore now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tristan, so what was your favorite pitch of either of theirs? I thought Johnny did a really good job with the Tristan movie because he walked that line of not just pandering to Tristan, but also making a movie that I think people would like. <laughs> I I also really liked, I think, well, it's hard, to, it's hard to say that I really like Bobby's pitch that he just ended on because he lost on it. But I was a fan of moving Bond into like a team up uh, kind of role. I thought that was something that would, would have been a good move for him. I also thought that Bobby did a good job with uh, his E.T. movie. I thought that was a really good take on E.T. So, yeah, uh, not, not a great take on E.T., but at least better than what we got <laughs> Yeah. And from the other side. Uh, so, yeah, Bobby had some good stuff. Donnie had some good stuff. Uh, not a ton of bombs, which is nice. There was a one pitch where I think it was a pretty hard flop. <laughs> but everything else, it was like at least a big fight put up for everybody. Yeah. Was that my – was that um... – one that Which one did you guys on. skip? The Raiders? No, it was uh, or E.T. was that my Fast and Furious? Yeah, it was E.T. E.T. That's bullshit. E.T. My fucking E.T. movie kicked ass. All right, so for me, I think my favorite pitch of Johnny's is probably Octopussy. And then for for Bobby's, it's hard. Because I really liked both of your Can't Stop the Music, but I think that might have been... I like the whole getting the band back together. Uh, Joe says, I'm not interested in either of these. No, that was Dirty <laughs> yeah. Dancing. Just kidding. Yeah, dirty, dancing yeah, that was was, dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing was the one where I'm like, I don't care about either of these. Yeah. All right, so what was your guys' uh, favorite pitch of each other's? Uh, my favorite Bobby, of... Johnny yeah. Away. Uh, definitely is E.T. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, actually, mine was Octopussy, which was hard to fight for that last one because, like I said, I was going to go in a very similar direction. I just didn't think I could outfight Johnny in that in the way that i would do bond like that because i think you know a little bit more about the asian kind of style that that you would bring to it but so yeah that because that's pretty much what i would realistically do with bond not like mine which i think would be a lot of fun but they'd never do but that was my argument i'm like hey if we're gonna make a one-off let's do it um so 
definitely definitely octopusy was my favorite of yours but i also really did like your raiders too um for me i mean just based on what it sounded like i like the idea of young guns being a 60s movie with sergio leon so i i liked uh bobby's direction there um so that could have been my favorite pitch if we got to it but going by like what i think bobby's strongest pitch was was well it's not something that i really cared about i think uh i think he did a good job with dirty dancing i think as far as updating that and making it a musical and uh doing something that like people nowadays might be interested in the property with i think i think he did a a good job it was hard to fight because i love elvis but i i honestly am not a huge fan of his movies so i had to just like sell it that i was i didn't really know what to do with that so i was like well the only person that maybe could get me to watch this movie that's not the original is elvis i wanted to find something as charismatic as patrick swayze is in the original and i don't think bobby found that necessarily but i think he did a good job with his with his pitch um as far as like having to fight it, that was definitely the hardest one. Yeah, I also liked uh, Bobby's Gremlins, which. You know, yeah, shut yeah. up. That was bad. That, <laughs> that was, was a worse version of my ET one. That was not. No. It was not. All right. That at so least made it to the arguments. Does anyone have any uh, final thoughts? Good match. It's it's yeah. sad to see Johnny continuing to hold the the championship belt here, but one day, you know, I. I I have confidence someone's going to take Johnny down eventually. It wasn't Bobby today, but God, it's going to be somebody. My final thoughts thoughts were that um, Bobby winning his dirty dancing pitch to Tristan proves that Tristan loves Johnny. (laughs) That that was uh, literally all I wrote for Bobby's uh, pitch was was – Tristan loves Johnny. I almost really quick because I know we need to <laughs> and end. Then, and then I wrote Tom Holland because I knew really? Tristan didn't like him. <laughs> yeah, really, really quick because I know we need to end. Um, because the character was named Johnny and because of the pun of nobody puts baby in the corner, I almost named my lead Bobby. So then we had nobody puts Bobby in the corner and Bobby and Johnny as the two leads. <laughs> that was a little too weird. It would have been a little too weird, I thought, with the brothers and having it be a romance thing. So I was just like, I can't like realistically not laugh as I pitch this. So. <laughs> All right. All right. So if no one has I... any other, or Johnny, did you have something? No, no, no. All right. I was gonna say, uh, I believe next week. I'm not sure on the day because I'm not sure on everyone's schedule. We're gonna do a new show for us. It's gonna be an A to Z, where basically we all have been assigned letters. Um, I got A. Johnny has B. Uh, Bobby has C, Tristan has D, I think, and we're just going to go around and we all have picked a movie that starts with that letter that maybe isn't as well known that we think deserves some love and we're going to talk about it as a group. Maybe if there's someone in the group that hasn't watched it, recommend it. And more just kind of a thing that's going to allow us to discuss movie. It's not really going to be a debate. We're not putting anything on a list like our Mount Rushmore or our Hall of Fame. It's going to be kind of like the show similarly to the show that uh tristan bobby and i did two weeks ago uh where we were just kind of discussing blockbusters but we're just going to discuss random movies that start uh a through z uh and also tristan and i have our uh disney plus weekly review uh this weekend where we will be discussing the uh season one finale of the bad batch as long as, as well as everything else that drops on disney plus this week and the premiere of marvel's what if the new marvel yeah, show is marvel's coming what out if this premieres week on wednesday as well so we will be discussing that 
And I believe Tristan is going to have some uh, reviews that drop on our YouTube channel this week. I know. Yeah, Sean's... check out the YouTube channel. I've been doing some reviews of first time watches, and I checked off a pretty intense first time watch, uh, Jaws. So if you want to hear my <laughs> thoughts on Jaws, I hadn't realized until recently that I had not seen Jaws. So if you want to get my thoughts for my first time watching Jaws, it'll be on the YouTube channel this week. All right. And uh, I think that wraps up our show for this week check us out on uh twitch instagram twitter uh tiktok all at movie change up and uh, have a nice night hey thank you for watching the movie change up podcast we'd really appreciate if you liked commented subscribed and shared us with anyone you think might be into what we're doing over here thank you have a nice day